This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's a Monday. You're at it again. We'll make it through this one. We'll do it. I promise you. Hey, great uh, show for you today. We will be talking with our own Joe Cannon, our Joe in the know, we call him, and uh, just picking his brain about all things political. The president had a really difficult uh, week last week, but, uh, you know, not so not so difficult time with the Saudis. He got a big gold medallion. A lot of talk about whether he bowed or not. Yes. And how that relates to other presidencies. Mm-hmm. He, uh, what, had a, a, a joint sort of circle touching a globe of yeah. glowing something? He and, had a, a, a saber dance. Yeah, there, he was holding the sword. I saw that. That was interesting. <laughs> it's so interesting to see. I mean, he just, he, he gets in there. He does it, you know? Yeah. He seems like he'd be too embarrassed to do certain things, but he'll just get in Hey, he'll get in there and smash sabers <laughs> with a bunch of men. Hey, speaking of swords, what yeah. is that you're using to hack at your fingernails with? It's a sword. It's a saber. It's a slight. Mm. It's an itty bitty saber. I do all my grooming in the in the show during the show. So, how much do you charge for a uh, a mani? A mani. Um, if you want me to talk to you, about twenty bucks. It depends on how you're cute. A petty <laughs> is about five thousand dollars. Wow, because <laughs> that's high quality. Feet gross me out. It's it, not to be touched. So it's hazard pay. Hazard pay, totally. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, Donald Trump having lots of fun. Now he's in Israel. Yes, he is. Where he'll go to the Western Wall, and he's got a lot of other fun there. Well, then where? Like Italy, Berlin, I think. Yeah, he's going to go speak with NATO. Yeah. Oh, NATO. Yeah. Are they still around? Well, I mean, he did question during the campaign whether they were useful anymore. And now he's yeah. all on board, apparently, that they are useful. That's so. what we're going to ask Joe is – because he seems to be saying a lot of things that he wasn't saying in There was the, no radical Islamic terrorism spe- you know, yeah. talk during the trip in Saudi Boy, Arabia. what a meeting. Did you see the, the meeting of all of the Arab leaders, all of the Mideastern leaders? In, I mean, that building that they meet in is amazing. Right. See how nice those chairs were? and But they're all looking at him like, huh? Yeah. Aren't you the guy that hates us? Anyway, it was interesting, interesting stuff. So we'll get to all that fun straight ahead with Joe Cannon. Plus, uh, we, we've got to talk about this sea lion grabbing a, a little girl. I don't know if you – did you see the oh, video of that? I didn't watch the video. I mean, let's all remember that a sea lion has the name lion in it. Right. So don't, they're not just these cute, cuddly animals that bark. No. In, you know. I saw another uh, – we'll talk about it later, but there was a uh, lion trainer – Sea lion trainer oh, wow. that yeah. talked about some of the behavioral things the lion was demonstrating. Oh, interesting. So yeah. the, the, li- the sea lion was just being normal. Apparently. Especially when you feed it. You know, it's, and a, then it's an animal. So. That's the rule. Never f- turn your back on an animal you've been feeding. Yeah. Especially when you look like a bag of popcorn. <laughs> we'll get to that fun. 
Uh, luckily, she's alive. And man, her grandpa or dad or somebody jumped right in after. It was amazing. We'll get to the whole story yeah. in a bit. But first to Terry South with the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? So the Chinese government killed or imprisoned 18 to 20 informants working for the CIA between 2010 and 2012, the site of the New York Times over the weekend, citing two former senior U.S. officials who remain unnamed. The CIA declined to comment for the Times story. Five years later, it's still not certain how the sources were identified, only that their grim fate signified crippled American intelligence efforts in China. Some of the intelligence community suspect a mole, the Times report, while others believe the Chinese hackers could have breached CIA systems. But whatever the breach was, it seems to have ended by 2013. For many years, China and the U.S. have been locked in this spy battle that's been going on behind the scenes, the New York Times reports, and it's go- and it just goes back and forth. Yeah. Every year, someone gets a little edge, and then they, you know, the, go- the, high, the high governmental leaders, presidents, whatever, meet, and it's all you know, happy and smiles, shaking hands, but behind the scenes... There's a spy battle going on back and ah, forth. We scary. still have no idea how they breached the systems back then. Yeah. Um, but 12 uh, people. 18 to 20. Eight, that's crazy. So they had a whole network built up over years and just, in a matter of years, just completely dissolved. Uh, other news. Want a home loan these days? Increasingly, your credit needs to be almost perfect. Mortgages continue to concentrate among the least risky U.S. households in the first quarter, with almost 61% of new home loans going to borrowers with a credit risk score of 760 or above. Wow. This all out of the uh, New York Federal Reserve Bank, but this, uh, pub- they published this report last week. That's a record in data sets that goes back to 2003 when the share was around 30%. Yeah. So when I, me and my wife bought our house... Thirty percent of the people getting mortgages have a had a credit score of seven or six, what seven sixty or, or above. Now it's sixty one percent, and they're oh, saying it, it all goes back to the uh, two thousand eight two thousand nine when the uh, the economy sort of collapsed under the kind of the home loans people were defaulting on, and because of that, uh, banks are kind of uh, scared to uh, Man. operate by giving people who have a, a more of a credit risk any sort of a loan that way. So. It's getting harder and harder. That and houses Plus, are more expensive. Well, and there's fewer of them, right? Right now, apparently, there's, right now. it's hard to find a house. Uh, Ford Motor Company is reportedly f- uh, firing CEO Mark Fields in a major shakeup of the Michigan-based company's management. The move comes as the automaker seeks to expand its venture into self-driving cars and ride-sharing services to keep up with competitors. Fields' ouster comes as he was repeatedly criticized for not doing enough to develop future technologies in the auto industry. The guy, the, the reports have the guy overseeing the autonomous car unit as taking over. Ford Motors, so we'll see where that huh. goes. Um, and finally, Apple has improved on the humble pizza box, like the website Quartz puts it. Like all things Apple, there is no sharp corners on this box, meaning the pizza box is not square. The other yes. main innovation in Apple's take on pizza travel technology is holes on top of the box, and presumably... Uh, so the steam will escape and not make your pizza soggy. It's actually a patent that Apple applied for seven years ago with the head of Apple's food services uh, team listed as one of the inventors. A new pizza box mentioned in the article. So they did this huge article on the new Apple headquarters. It looks like a huge spaceship out there that they built. But all they want, people want to talk about is this pizza box. I know. What is the deal? Now, the reason is because they in the cafeteria, they offer pizza. You can get it made to order. Okay. And then you want to take it back to your desk. So Apple's like, let's figure this out. So they come up with this pizza box. And uh, the big feature is it, it has a nested configuration 
that allows for multiple containers to be stored in a nested stack. Oh, nice. So they'll just stack up for Very us. efficient. Minimize the storage space. Also, it has concentric ridges for structural support, and it has those holes in the top. Yeah. They're, they're known as a plurality of apertures that allow for the outflow of air from within the container. Oh, you mean air holes. It's a pizza box. That's some vents in the top. Wow. I mean, do they have so much time on their hands, they can just yeah. make a box. Look at the pictures of the headquarters. I saw it. They and... have a lot of uh, time on their hands. The wow. glass, the glass in that building is insane. I mean, what's funny is I don't ever think of the box. No, I'm always thinking about the pizza. But you have, how you could make the pizza better? Don't you have soggy pizza? No. Occasionally, I, I haven't mean, had if, pizza if, for a month. Oh, I guess you're right. What they're trying to help <sighs> is that you could store it and not have to worry about the pizza being soggy, which is a problem. Yeah, I guess. I mean, first world problem. <laughs> they solved the problem. My pizza is never in the box long enough to get soggy. I think that's most great people's point. sort of <laughs> I mean, that really is. When you think about it, that really is a great point. Um, okay, speaking of soggy, we got to talk about the sea lion girl. The video's on the Twitter account already. It is an incredible story. Cute, sea lions are... Cat. This is uh, apparently sound of Did you, a you cat being feline. Feline. I said sea lion. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, it's, I mean, maybe I'm not, you know, enunciating. So uh, in Canada, apparently, a sea lion has become internet sensation overnight after yanking a little girl off a Canadian dock and um, pulling her right into the water. It is, when you watch the video, it is startling. Go to uh, at Dr. Matt show. Um, it's just. It's fast. It's a cute little girl. She was feeding a sea lion, her whole family, I think, was watching. She then turns her back and sits on the, the dock, s- the, dock, the yeah. side of the dock, and the sea lion sees her white little jumper suit, cute little outfit thing, and grabs it and pulls her right in the water. And then grandpa or dad or somebody, somebody. jumps right in. Yeah. He was fast. He was way fast. He was faster than the sea lion. I mean, I guess when, when you're pulled in or when, when, a sea, when a wild animal pulls your daughter or child in, you would probably just jump right in. Don't you look at it and try to think, what just happened? Is there any sort of moment where you try to think what happened and then maybe think what you're going to do, or do you just dive in? I he just know. dove in. It was he almost as in. if was like he reflex. was expecting that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe the, he. The yeah. article I read from an animal expert this way, he says the animal was displaying some aggression in the sense that the people were feeding him bread or something, and then he then they stopped. Yeah. And then they just sort of turned their back to him, and the girl just sat down and go, this is a wild animal. Yeah. They're now going to be agitated because you're not feeding them anymore. That's and how Jeff gets. That's right. And so you need to, as he said, you step away, and the animal was demonstrating aggression and jumped up, grabbed the girl, and yanked her back in the water. Well, and what's funny, though, then everyone's like, how stupid can you be? I mean, like, this is a wild animal. and right. Except if you've ever been on a boat in California— they go show you all these sea lions, and it's like cute, and everyone feeds them, and nobody thinks you're going to be attacked. Fisherman's, they're on every dock. Fisherman's Wharf. They're right. just hanging out. People just sit there like, oh, they're so cute. And you're like, well, no. It's a- but I guess it was showing aggressive behavior because it did come out and snap yeah. at her, and she pulled away. And then you don't know. She's not a highly trained professional. No. She's just a little girl. We were just playing with <laughs> this animal a second ago, so what's the harm? But can you imagine being pulled in? Unbelievable. I just watched it again. I mean, like, Really? That's just startling. It's startling. And then, and then 
his the poor man's glasses fell into the water. Oh. And you know the sea lion's going to be wearing those now. Right. And they're not even his prescription. See, this is because of SeaWorld. They're blamed for everything like this. Yeah, just blame SeaWorld. When in doubt, blame SeaWorld. What a great grandpa, though. What a, seriously, what a neat guy. Um, okay, so did you guys have a good weekend? Great right. weekend. What made it great? I did some really cool, fun things with my kids. What? I put on a little restaurant for them. Oh, really? Where I let them order what oh, they wanted. And so you were like the waiter? Were you I was the maitre d'? an Italian you? waiter. How'd that sound? I played a little guitar while they were waiting for their when food. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie. And they loved it. They didn't eat their dinner, but they loved it. How neat. What a great memory. Do you want to hear, like, what, like, what, would, a, what would an Italian waiter sound like? I mean, if you were to play one on TV. Hold on. I've, I think I've got the audio for... Let's see here. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> it's. Uh, did you play anything for your kids? We went camping. You did. We did. Just you and the boy. Me and the boy, a bunch of neighbors. How'd that go? Um, I don't know if my wife would have approved. One, I took her SUV, so going down the roads, we went down mm-hmm. in a. Uh, you didn't tell her. Not till after. It, it was pretty much not what her car is built for, but mm-hmm. I made it. Uh, oil pan intact, so little dent. Did it stay little, warm? Little concern. No, it was freezing. Um, my boy was climbing a mountain, like within oh, ten cute. minutes of getting See? out of the car. I Did look he? around. I'm like, "Where'd he go?" And I look up on the mountain. There's this red dot because he's in his little coat running up the hill. I'm like, "Oh yeah, wife's That's not going to approve of that." Any sea lions? Did you see any sea lions up no. there? Did see some rabbits and deer and stuff like that. So. I think you saw a mountain lion. <laughs> no sea lions, but a mountain lion. I do have this cool picture where I, I took a picture of the mountain, and then I, I you know, take it home to the wife and say, hey, do you see your son? And then you zoom in on the side of the mountain, you see a red dot, and that's my kid in his coat. And she's like, huh, and you just let him run off? He seems off? kind of far away. <laughs> he was fine. And then I think you camped out in your backyard the night after that because you weren't allowed yeah, in the house. you were in the dog house. <laughs> so you went camping, and you, Jeffrey... Did a little Italian restaurant. We actually went camping, too, but we camped out in our basement. We did the pull-out bed because we knew it was going to be cold. Oh, yeah, it's freezing. Oh, so we called that a camp out? Yeah. I have a father-son's coming up, and I'm trying to decide. I keep asking my kids, do you really want to go? How long out is that? How far out? <laughs> it's, uh, it's in June. You're fine. Are you trying to bribe them? Would you guys rather go camping, or yeah. do you want to go see Guardians of the Galaxy for I know, the fifth seriously. time? But they, they're like, yeah, let's go up there. Let's, that'd be fun. Don't do, like me, I was looking at it like, it's only going to be 40 degrees when we're sleeping. That's fine. Oh. We'll have some blankets. Did you say we'll intense, though? See, we're, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. actually staying in little cabins. Yeah, we had tents. See, it's, then you had cam- the... It was camping, not like a resort. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah no, ours is a resort. You probably sat them down after that and were like, all right, how much would it take... For us to not go on this camp. Yeah. What's it going to take to not make me have to go there? I said, well, because usually everybody stops at a really nice, greasy restaurant. Mm. And I'm like, you know, I'll probably not be able to eat anything. They'll have, like, beverages. You could have some water. I could have, yeah, I could have a beverage. Yeah. A little hmm. water, a little lime. You're okay. Man. <laughs> Guess I'm going camping. In two weeks or three weeks, I think. Bah! Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Joe Cannon will be joining us. We're going to be talking politics. Up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Stick with us.
Welcome back. It's Monday, folks, which means, you know, it's the time to talk about politics. Who best to walk us through it than Joe Cannon? Joe is a past chairman of the Utah Republican Party, was also a candidate for U.S. Senate, served as an assistant administrator of the U.S. EPA Environmental Protection Agency under the Reagan administration, was also editor of the Deseret News. And uh, we like to get him in here to to help us just sort through, you know, what is fake news? What is real news? What's really going on politically? Is it as big of a deal as they're making it seem? Joe Cannon, how are you, my friend? Good, Matt. It's really, really good to hear your voice. I know. I've been – it seems like every Monday it's because on Sunday I eat fatty foods and on then I have a gallbladder attack and then I can't be here Mondays. But to yeah, last well, – I, I took care of myself yesterday. Good, good. Well, I hope you're on the mend. I am. Kind of. I still need to have my gallbladder out, but that'll be in a few weeks. So we're, we're all good. We're good. But it's fun to watch. Uh, not fun, but it was an interesting weekend to see President uh, Trump in Saudi Arabia. I mean, he didn't it, let me get this straight, Joe. Help me straighten this out. It seemed like he was really anti-Muslim, uh, some of his rhetoric, um, supposedly protecting America, but really... It's 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 Islam. It's extreme Islam. It's Muslims that are that are the danger. And then he goes to Saudi Arabia and gives an, an, a very, I think, strong, powerful speech about how we have to work together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, actually, the whole trip is pretty amazing. Maybe we can come back and talk about everything. But I mean, he's touching. Everything on this trip, basically. I mean, Riyadh and the unification of uh, Islam, or at least parts of Islam, against terrorism. Yeah. He goes to Jerusalem. We'll talk about that. Then he's, you know, going to um, Rome. Yeah, Rome. And, uh, and so you were, we're talking, you know, there are about a billion uh, Muslims. There are about a billion Catholics in the world. There are only about 14 million Jews, but he's touching and NATO, right? And NATO, <laughs> and and then he goes to NATO and to the G7 meetings in in Sicily. So, like in one week, he's touching really a significant number of uh, hot buttons, or whether they're hot or not, important buttons uh, for the U.S. How how we're perceived abroad. But the 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 trip. Maybe we just start on the trip yeah. to uh, uh, Saudi Arabia. I mean, it is. It's like if I read this quote in the middle of the campaign last year. Quote: This is not a battle between different faiths, different sects, or different civilizations. This is a battle between barbaric criminals who seek to obliterate human life and decent people, all in the name of religion. People that want to protect life and want to protect their religion. This is a battle between good and evil. Mm. That doesn't sound very much like uh, the Donald Trump of the campaign. Right. No, uh, right. I mean, it's a very, very conciliatory. Um, of course, the Washington Post said, well, to quote, to be clear, uh, the speech was really a sop soaked in platitudes huh. for the Saudi agenda in the Middle East. But... I think it is. I mean, in, in one sense, the post is right. What you saw President Obama do was clearly shift toward the Shia slash non-Sunni axis in the Middle East by making deals with Iran, by by you know not propping up Iran, but 
but not, not treating Iran the way lots of other presidents have in terms of being a hostile uh, state. So clearly, I think President Obama was trying to alter the calculus in the Middle East by uh, focusing a lot more on Iran. This trip clearly is the other direction. It's a, it's a very big pivot back to the Saudi axis away mm. from Iran. And uh, I mean, the Saudi king, is like I think right after, right before that speech I just quoted, said uh, Iran represents the tip of the spear of global terrorism. And Trump followed on by saying all nations of conscience must work together to isolate Iran. Well, there's so much this is drenched in much irony because it's not exactly like there is a huge chasm of difference between right. Saudi and other Sunni-backed uh, terrorism versus Shia-backed terrorism. So, you know, but it, but it does represent a, a shift in um, not just an emphasis, but I mean, you know, it's coupled with a $110 billion arms deal, the, the reportedly the biggest in, uh, in history. But I think Trump did say, I think, something, you know, pretty... He called the and people have wondered and they're saying, well, he's just sitting down with with a terrorist and dictators. Uh, but so did President Obama. So did right. most presidents end up. You have to deal with the world as it is. And the way Trump characterized it was, well, look, this is just what he called, quote, principled realism uh, that we we do. We, we've been dealt a hand of cards. How is the best way out of this to get some get peace? to stabilize the area, to cut back on terrorism, and hopefully make some kind of a deal uh, with respect to Israel. Mm. And I think, the, I mean, the picture, uh, did you see this picture of the of the Egyptian president, the Saudi king? Yeah, oh, and, yeah. in uh, their Trump, big... Like sort of laying hands on this glowing yeah. Or- orb. Yeah, you know? it's incredible. And, and by the way, and by the way, this is opening, I, I say this with, not much irony, just remembering where the bombers came from on 9-11. This is opening the global center for combating extremist ideology in mm-hmm. Riyadh. I, just, I can say there's a lot of irony in all this. Absolutely. Scrape all of it away. There is a this, this sort of principled realism, to, to quote Trump again. Well, and, and uh, didn't they also give a, like $100 million dollars? To uh, pro women uh, to a, to an organization Ivanka's put together on women, right, right, right. That's I mean, again, ironic, way, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's a lot. Like I said, there's a lot of irony in this whole thing. I, there's some kind of weird, odd, funny spots. I mean, Toby Keith did a concert, yeah, in Saudi Arabia for all men. Uh, I guess by the way, only to men. No, not just men. 21 years old and older. Oh, wow. So, like, not even teenagers. And then did you hear about the, the Harley Davidson? Yeah, no, no, Harley I heard that. that, how, that how, what happened there? They, uh, 400 Harleys drove through Riyadh, you know, with their bandanas <laughs> and saying, uh, signs the thing, no terrorism here, and, you know. Uh, wow. So just like... I mean, that, Toby Keith and Harley Davidson in Riyadh, kind of, that's the, about the most... Americana you could get. Yeah, absolutely. And they a lot of a lot of, you know, ha, I mean a lot of 
I don't know what you even call it, a lot of hype around if President Trump bowed or not to the Saudi uh, king. Right, right, right. And so, I mean, I guess because President Obama did, Trump's like going to say he wanted to be able to say he didn't. Um, Does any of that matter or is that just, again, more hype? Well, I mean, on that, the whole bow, not bow issue, uh, I don't think it would ever have been an issue if somebody had decided to picture Obama as bowing to various foreign leaders. But I think, uh, I mean, I saw a picture, it looked to me like uh, Trump's body was bent at the waist. Now, maybe he was just accepting that medal or whatever they were putting around his neck, I don't know. But, uh, I mean, I think the whole thing... uh, people people can be gracious in in different ways i think that that's a distraction i think the the heart of this whole deal is a genuine foreign policy pivot uh, in the middle east aiming at a couple of directions you know basically weakening iran trying to weaken iran strengthening saudi letting the whole world know yeah we're pals with the saudis and um and i think that was the heart of that aspect of the trip, yeah, and it kind of everything kind of uh, bolsters that that image. The arms deal. The By the way, is it normal for a president to go be a part of the signing of a hundred and ten dollar, one hundred and ten billion dollar arms deal? I don't remember presidents getting involved at that level. That's a good question. I didn't really look that up, but uh, certainly presidents have touted yeah. big arms deals with Saudi. I mean, there were there were huge issues even going back to to President Ford, probably even earlier. But you know, about do the Saudis get AWACS? These uh, right. the... these uh, big big airplanes that can spy all over the place. And so there, I mean, there's a long history of it. I, I don't, I can't hmm. recall myself whether someone's actually been there at the signing. But certainly, presidents have touted. Uh, various arms I mean, deals, if you uh, walk into Saudi Arabia and come out with a hundred billion dollars, hundred and ten billion in arms deals, plus other agreements that they agreed to pay Blackstone money to fight in in Syria, didn't they? I can't remember. I mean, there's there's just a lot of yeah. interesting business going on behind yeah, the, the scenes. Hundred, the hundred and ten billion was uh, was part a of lot that. of deals. Oh yeah. Well, it was yeah, but there were a, a lot of things represented. And by the way. <laughs> That 110 billion. Who cheered the most of that was Gary Cohn, the head of the Economic Council, who said, "Wow, look at all this money is actually coming to America." Interesting. Uh, so yeah. we're so to, and today, just this early morning, defense stocks shot up. Lockheed Martin is a big, huge winner today yeah. uh, because they're. It's not like they're giving 110 billion dollars to Saudi arms makers. They're giving it to U.S. arms makers for. For Saudi Arabia. Right. It's a big big deal. Boy, and then on to the irony now of leaving the Arab world and heading to Israel. Um, And meanwhile, in Israel, Netanyahu's having a hard time getting all of his council members to even show up uh, to, to see President Trump. Well, the Israel trip also represents many different ironies going back to the campaign. But I think it's one interesting noteworthy thing. It's the, apparently the first time ever in history somebody took a, a president, or maybe anybody, took a direct flight from Riyadh to Tel Aviv. It's certainly the first time wow. Air Force One has done that. Right. And maybe the first time in in you know modern history in the since 1948 <laughs> oh, wow. from, uh, 
from directly from Riyadh to uh, Tel Aviv, and I think they, you know, Netanyahu made a, a pretty big deal about that. Um, yeah, no, the, the the Israel trip has, you know, this, it's just very interesting. I mean, I, I, some of the press played this up a little bit, but, you know, in the next couple of weeks, well, today, actually, in Israel is called Jerusalem Day. Hmm. And that's the day that Israelis remember the reunification of Jerusalem and Israel. Now, in our calendar, that actually happened in the first week in June. But because of the uh, Jewish calendar, the, the, that date moves around some. So, um, but yeah, yeah, it's a, the, the 50th anniversary of the Six-Day War is next in, in the next couple of weeks, hmm. the first week or so in June. And so there, this is all in the background of a lot of history, and, and a lot of the questions wrapped up in this trip. Well, President Trump campaigned vigorously on moving. I will, he said to AIPAC, I will move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Unless something happens in the next, you know, couple of hours, uh, I, I think they've decided that's not going to be the case, that mm. they're not going to move. Uh, and there are lots of ironies. I mean, you heard, you know, various uh, government officials, U.S. government officials, wondering, so in talking about the trip to the Western Wall, right? Right. Uh, is that, is the Western Wall around the temple in Jerusalem, is that even in Israel? You know, there's right. a whole big discussion about, well, is he going to be in Israel or not in Israel? In fact, he's at the Western Wall apparently right now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Is so uh, like what concessions is because people are even talking about him being able to cut a deal with Palestinians and Israel. Is that even possible? Is that plausible? Boy, I don't know. You know, uh, he is the deal maker. I don't know if you've heard this. Yeah, he he certainly proclaims to be a deal maker. Uh but deals have already been made. I mean, you go back to Oslo when basically Israel and and, and uh, Bill Clinton, everybody thought they had a deal. They were going to give give Arafat basically almost everything he wanted, and the Palestinians said no. So against that background, I mean, there's a lot of skepticism on all parts about whether there can really, really be a deal. I. I don't know. We always get surprised, but I'd be very surprised if anything is announced. Yeah. What do you, what do you, because so he also then I guess will go to um, where Belgium and have NATO meetings, G7 summit meetings. Um, Again, he'd talk negatively about NATO. It's, you know, the rest of the world needs to start paying the bill as well. Um, How do you sense all of these other G7 leaders feel about Donald Trump? Well, they are mostly realists also. They recognize he is the president of the United States. I think, I, I don't know this, but a lot of the leaks out of the White House, of which there's like the breaching of a dam right. kind of leaks, but, but some of those leaks indicate that his purpose in going to these meetings at all, other than the fact that he's the president and he should be at the meetings, uh, at least the G7 meetings, is to reassure our allies that we are going to be normal partners uh, for peace and partners for economic growth. And he's, you know, that's kind of the, the layout that I think that the Trump folks are trying to um, accomplish. Now, 
I don't think he's backing away much from, I mean, he's even told Japan, he still, still, still tells people that other people need to come up and, and help pay the bills for this. Right. I, I, I'm pretty sure there'll be some of that message in there, but on the whole, the, the, the whole, all the talk, you know, leading up to these trips has been very conciliatory. I mean, it's been kind of very conciliatory on the Muslim Muslim side. It's been kind of a mix. I mean, we should come back and talk a little more about Israel in a minute. But, but as far as NATO and the G7, I mean, I think he's signaling that we really want partners and we want to be a good partner. Yeah. Now, yeah. what he actually says, I, you know, that's to be determined in the next few days. Yeah. Let's do this. Let's take a break. Come back. We'll talk Israel. We also got to talk about all the news about uh, Trump and Russia, Comey and his note taking. Is that going to bring down the president? We keep hearing more and more uh, talk about impeachment and also with the um, with the special counsel now that has been appointed former director Bob Mueller. Uh, What will that do? to the whole investigation. Stick with us, folks. We're speaking with Joe Cannon. Joe's our our guide on the side, walking us through um, the political world, also is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, an organization trying to lower your fuel costs here in the United States. We'll take a break. We'll be back. Continue the journey. Stick with us. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show on the phone with us is Joe Cannon. He is our Washington insider and uh, also the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. You can find out more about what they're doing to lower your fuel costs here in the United States by going to fuelfreedom.org. And uh, Joe, thanks again for being with us. Good to talk to you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. So um, right now, President Trump is in uh, Israel. What other what are his goals in Israel? Well, we we talked a little bit before the break, uh, uh, but one one note that besides the historic first flight from Riyadh to Tel Aviv, direct, this is the earliest any president in in recent times has visited. Huh. You know, Bill Clinton visited in this his second year in office. Jimmy Carter, who is very you know for whom Israel is very important, didn't visit Israel till his third year in office. Of course, he only had four. Nixon and Bush and Obama all waited until their second term hmm. to go to Israel. So I think it's signaling, um, uh, I think the, the Trump wants to reinforce the relationship with Israel. Uh, and also, I think he's serious in his own mind, as have most of his predecessors been, about trying to get a peace deal in the Middle East that settles the Israeli-Palestinian problem. Well, and so isn't this is a big deal too, Joe, right? Because President Obama and Prime Minister Netanyahu had a very didn't have a great relationship. Well, uh, uh, the many ironies of the, the shift in power in the U.S. vis-a-vis Israel, the, yeah, it was plain as plain could be that Obama and Netanyahu just couldn't stand each other. And, you know, people might not remember, but during the uh, President Obama's time, uh, basically he treated 
Netanyahu like a you know second class world leader coming in through the back door, not giving him anywhere near the trappings of uh, the visits that other presidents had. And I remember one time Netanyahu was actually flying to the United States, and in that time. President Obama announced uh, something really negative about Israel when there was no opportunity to uh, for Netanyahu. Anyway, there's a long history. Well, and he, Netanyahu came and spoke to the the GOP governed uh, Congress, right? It wasn't that a, a right, slight, right, yeah. Right, and that was and that was viewed as a slap in the face. Um, so you know, there's that that history. Well, okay, but let's now fast forward. Netanyahu, you know, praises Trump. Uh, the the conservatives in in Israel uh, praise Trump. Wow, this is great for Israel. But all of a sudden now in Israel, <laughs> there are lots of second thoughts here. Like, wait, wait a second. Okay, we're not moving the, we're not going to move the embassy. And by the way, you know, initially Netanyahu, I mean, uh, President Trump said, I I could be for one state solution. I could be for two state solution. Whatever works. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you talk about now, so now there's like a you know, big questioning about well, where where is he on on that? So it's a, you know there there are rifts in now in within Israel on Obama, but I think on the whole they are happier with Obama. I mean with uh, Trump Trump than they were with uh, interesting um, President Obama. Yeah. So what do you think? Um, what do you what do you think about the cloud? Is there a cloud? I mean, I know last week you were uh, you were pretty adamant that there's not going to be this isn't Watergate. It's not that level yet. But then Comey comes out um, having taken notes um, and almost suggesting that there was obstruction issues. He was trying to obstruct. Uh, President Trump was obstructing an investigation. Then, with the special counsel announcement of Bob Mueller, I mean, is did it did it ramp up more, or again, is this part of Harvard study just more negative press? Well, I don't know. It's definitely uh, there is a, a a lot of hostility to President Trump on the part of the press, and that is, I think, undeniable that. Uh, there's almost nothing he can do that's good, and almost everything he does is bad. Right. But having said that, what I said last night, because we don't, uh, I didn't think, and I'm still not sure, this approach is Watergate, but we also said that there are shoes left to drop here, mm. and, and one of them is that. Uh, Comey took notes. Trump threatens tapes. Who knows where, how that's going to come out? I do think the appointment of Mueller, I mean, there's a lot of debate within the Republican Party whether this is good or bad, but I, I actually feel like it's kind of good. I yeah. think that it puts everything together, and, and, and Mueller, who's a little bit older, uh, people are wondering how how he would be. Well, man, like on Friday or Saturday, I guess he came out and said, this is going to be a, a, a special investigation. I'm going to handle it. And all of this stuff is going to come through me, basically posting up against the House and the Senate and the various investigations going in there, saying, look, this is going to be really independent, mm. and I'm going to thoroughly, uh, thoroughly go into these things. And I, I think that's good, and the chips will follow where they may. I, I, I don't have any inside knowledge on, on uh, what is happening or what could happen out of this, but I think by putting in the hands of somebody who's very well respected all across the board, uh, you'll get a, a pretty 
thorough look at things. Yeah, Mueller faithfully served both Presidents Bush and Obama, and he, um, you know, I guess, I guess the one thing that might also be good is probably fewer leaks. I'm assuming coming from a Mueller investigation. Maybe he'll yeah, keep yeah, keep yeah. a lid on it. No, that is that'd be my guess. I think he he would run a pretty tight ship. Now he and Comey are apparently long, long time friends, um, so that would probably play into it some way. But that would have played into it on, in almost any case. I yeah, Comey was very well regarded as the FBI within the FBI. It was very well regarded. I think a, a chunk of the leaks were either directly from Comey or you know people who were Comey supporters were aimed at. At uh, shoring up Comey's position in this whole thing, what? So I, you know, well, what do you think about? And because this has been mentioned quite a bit too um, about deep government. So they they basically say when you choose to take on deep government, and I need you to explain what deep government is. Um, when you choose to take on deep government, they're going to bite you back. I mean, there are loyalists in the FBI, in the CIA, and when you take on and kind of throw the CIA and the FBI under under the bus, you're going to pay. Is this is this deep government retaliation against Trump? Well, there is what you call deep government. A lot of people call the deep state. Yeah. And the deep state is that body of career people who are there in and out of administrations. They definitely have a very uh, Washington-centric worldview uh they and and a lot of people would characterize the rise of Trump as the rise of the rest of America who don't think that uh the no I, I doubt very much that somebody in Moline uh or Des Moines, Iowa or Moline, Illinois or someplace would characterize the use the term deep state. Right. But there's a there's a big fear that people in Washington who are, quote, smarter than the rest of us, close quote, are running the government and things haven't been going too well economically or uh, in the world. And so there was this this revulsion against that. And uh, and the deep state, so-called, is is fighting back because they're pretty comfortable with the situation as it is. So, yeah, there's there's definitely a class there. It's not just between the CIA and the FBI and the president. I mean, it's a. Uh, it's the State Department. It's the so in Washington, people characterize it's almost like they're keeping tabs on who wins, Trump or the deep state. So uh-huh. you take the take the issue of moving the uh, uh, embassy from Jerusalem to I mean from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Well, that's a deep state victory. But by the way, it's the same deep state victory that has affected all of Trump's predecessors. Right. Everybody many else whom, wanted to move it. Many of whom wanted to do the same thing. Yeah. And the State Department said, you know, not a, not a good idea. And eventually the president acquiesces. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely a, you know, the, Trump ran. And I think fundamental to this whole presidency is, I mean, it's it, he talks about draining the swamp. Uh, he talks about you know the you know bureaucracy, heavy bureaucracy. There are talks about like moving various agencies of the government out of Washington, kind of breaking up the power thereof, and uh, and clearly his assault on regulations, mm. uh, which has been very surgical in nature, is uh, an attempt to tame the uh, the the 
governmental beast or the deep state. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I do think that there are folks uh, there who are saying we're going to do whatever we can, can to prevent uh, this guy exercising as much power as a president might be able to exercise. What do you what do you think, think the, the heart of a lot of it? What do you think about him calling Comey a nut job? If that well, happened, I mean, but a Russian officials apparently are saying he called him a nut job. Well, we could spend a few hours probably <laughs> listing. Uh, we, if we just started reading Trump tweets. Totally. It yeah, it never all ends. The, all manner of things like you're saying, why would he say that? Why? And I, you know, look, I try to be as passionate as I can about this, but. I wonder all the time, why does he do stuff? It seems like a lot of his wounds are self-inflicted. Totally, yeah. Now, I have friends who tell me that's because I don't appreciate his genius, and that maybe that's true. But, well, and I want to believe that, right? You want to believe your president's a genius, but yeah. a lot of times this just seems – I mean, maybe Jeb Bush had it right back in the day when he said he's just a, chaotic, a chaotic candidate and he'll be a chaotic president. Yeah, could be, although uh, – I guess I put that a lot in the category of sour grapes. Well, yeah, yeah. There's one president right now, and it's not Jeb Bush. Yeah, and 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 I and I come from a background of being a pretty big Bush supporter. Yeah, Bush W and H W, and I I thought Jeb Bush would make a pretty good president. So, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's uh, crazy time. He 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 creates a lot of his own damage, and it, like the whole FBI, we talked about this already, but the whole firing of Comey. That could have been done in, oh. in a way that didn't create all this. I mean, it's perfectly reasonable for presidents to fire people who yeah. serve at the pleasure of the president. That's that's not in itself a bad thing. But you add, you pile on kind of the personal invective uh, from President Trump and his characterization. He's the one who raised tapes. I mean, a lot of the things he said himself right. triggered the you know, recollections of Watergate. Yeah. Uh, why, why do that? No, yeah, why, why step on yourself that way? Well, Joe, we appreciate you, my friend. As usual, you did a great job, and uh, we'll talk to you again next Monday. Thank you for your time. Again, Joe Cannon, you can find out more about what Joe is doing and really go look into it. Fuelfreedom.org is the name of his organization, trying to lower the fuel cost for you here in the United States. Joe's on the case. Stick with us. Uh, We'll take a break. Come back. Wrap up. Hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Doing what we can on the program to help you be the good in the world. Stick with us. Welcome back to the show. Hey, whether you love Donald Trump or not as your president, there may be good news if you watch Saturday Night Live. Uh, it, it's it's apparently official. Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, has announced that he will be running for president in 2020. Yeah. He's putting the persistent rumors uh, to rest once and for all. These were his exact words. Starting tonight, I am running for president of the United States. Then everybody just was, they were so excited. Thunderous applause. Now, he needed um, a running mate and happened to be on the stage with him was – what's his bucket? Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin, uh, who who has, has said he wants to run for some office sometime. 
Um, and so Dwayne was like, he's got a veteran actor that he wants to run with. And uh, Alec thought it was him. And in the end, he announced, no, he's going to run with Tom Hanks. Because together, and Tom Hanks was there, he accepted that he would run with Mr. Johnson, and what a, what a candidacy those two would have. They both served in military function. They, they both have been in war movies. Mm-hmm. Tom Hanks could bring in the uh, World War II vote, the veterans from World War II. And, uh, you know, The Rock could bring in the naval vote, too, because he's in that new movie Baywatch. That's, so he's watching yeah. the shores. Yeah, he's watching the shores, except for the sea lions in Canada. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it's Johnson Hanks, 2020. Get on the bandwagon, folks. So, you know, if you're not loving the Trump momentum and movement, then, uh, then get ready. There will be a Johnson Hanks ticket. You can rest easy. We'll take a break. That's hour number one of the program. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number two of the program. If you missed the first hour, go check it out on iTunes, on TuneIn, on Stitcher. Go to BYURadio.org. Go to MattTownsend.com. You'll get it everywhere. What is Stitcher? It, does somebody, like, stitch out the transcript of uh-huh. the show? It's it's in stitching. It's in um, cross-stitching. Yeah. They put it on pillows. The entire transcript. I would love to see our three-hour show on a pillow. It is one of the hardest uh, mediums. To to get the show, but it's darn worth it if you've got a lot of couches. <laughs> They'll cross stitch it for you. Plus today uh, we've got we're going to be talking about anxiety, hmm, and how to use anxiety to your advantage. It might very well be that your anxiety is a human trait that gives you a huge advantage. Going all the way back to Soren Kierkegaard, one of the great Danish philosophers. And his his view of if you know how to be anxious in the right way, it keeps you from making dumb mistakes. I'm Pretty really powerful. anxious to hear that story. <sighs> okay, Jeff. Jeff, by the way, coming off a weekend bender of um, exciting <laughs> acting with his children. You were playing an Italian waiter. Mm-hmm. And the children didn't eat any Italian food. Well, I gave them six. What I learned, I learned a great lesson. doesn't matter how many different options you give my five-year-old. I gave her six different options. She didn't want any of it. She chose one and then didn't eat it. Oh, these kids. You know what I figured out because I'm on this special diet? Um, Low-fat diet. I can eat sushi, but nothing fried. No tempura sushi. So I found heaven. That was wonderful. Plus, I figured out this is going to sound incredible to both of you. If you get uh, spaghetti squash, lightly drizzle it with some um, Evo. Yeah. (laughs) I'm using their terms, not mine. Extra virgin olive oil and uh, a little salt and pepper. Bake it for about 40 minutes. Take it out. Then you take – then you use the fork to make it spaghetti and make turn it into spaghetti. And then you know what you do? Oh, when it's nice and warm, you pour because I can't have regular pasta sauce. This is where it goes off the rails. Go ahead. Then you pour over the top of it V8. Yeah. 
juice. There you go. Mm. It is so good. It's like it, adding water to ketchup. No, no, no. It almost mm. it almost tastes like spaghettios. Almost. Uh, but it's healthy. Why is that a is selling it, point? Is it really an endorsement, by the way? It's so good, and it's salty, too, like SpaghettiOs. Yeah. I wouldn't touch SpaghettiOs as a kid. You wouldn't? That's how gross they are. And the raviolis? Yeah, but oh. this is different because this is oh. spaghetti squash. Anyway, that's, that. my, uh, that's my cooking tip for the Matt Townsend Show. Wow. Cooking on a budget. But it, and then it fills, it fills me right up. Oh, right. That's what I ate Friday night. Or for the rest of everyone else who's not dealing with trying to avoid certain foods that may kill you, yeah. you can just use spaghetti sauce on the squash, and it tastes great. By the way, uh, this is yeah. something that Matt and Palakiko will be talking more about on their new show. Cooking with Palakiko and Matt Townsend. Yeah, now that sounds better. 50 ways to juice a potato. That show sounds <laughs> a lot better. I went to a wedding this weekend, um, a, a, an outdoor wedding in their backyard, and they had the best hot dogs ever that I couldn't eat. Did you play on the swing? Mm-hmm. No, no swings there. Oh, nice. It was a really oh, nice. It's a nice back here. It was a nice. Did you play nice. in the sandbox? No sandbox there either. Hmm. Tennis court. Oh. Didn't play there either. You love tennis. Though. I love tennis. But uh, so. No I'm, cake? I'm, no cake. Oh. I haven't had cake forever. My kids were eating chips yesterday. Couldn't have them. Mm. I, had, I had a Philly steak, cheese steak, cheese, cheese yeah. steak, cheese steak yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. sandwich. Oh, couldn't oh. have it. Uh-huh. I'm yeah. like I'm can't ga- you just I'm ga- juice it? No. No. Because it can't have any fat in it. Oh. I thought it was more just the solid, not the fat. No, I did okay. too. It's the fat. It was a, that was all just a fake trick so there. You can eat it. the food if it's fat free. I can eat anything fat free. Hmm. What so, if it's like like naturally fat free or yeah, like Yeah, it's got to have no fat in it. What so, about fat free potato chips? Yeah. No. Really? That just doesn't feel right. Plus if you read the if you read the ingredients, no one should be consuming those. You know, um, I don't know which chili company it is, but they do 99% fat-free oh, yeah. vegetarian chili. Oh, that sounds That's good. That's the kind I actually buy. I don't buy the regular stuff. I like that. That sounds good. I'm going to try mm-hmm. that. Do it's, a little chili. It's 99%, so that 1% may get you. Yeah, and we talked last week about uh, how Oscar Mayer is now getting rid of nitrates and nitrites. Right. And so it's now... As healthy as, you know, mother's milk. And then it's not going to taste the same if people aren't going to eat the product. They want that fake stuff. Yeah. They want those arteries to harden. That's right. We'll get to all that fun straight ahead. Plus, we'll be talking the use of anxiety to our advantage. And also, uh, a woman attacked by a camel. You got to watch out for those attack camels. It happens. At Jefferson Davis's last home. Apparently a camel. He left a camel there. I think the sea lions and the camels, I think these are all signs of uh, signs that of the, the earth is yeah. going to come to an end. The it's... animal world is rising up. <laughs> Look out for the attack camel. We'll get to all that fun, but first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? The FBI is helping police in Maryland determine whether the stabbing death of a visiting black student on Saturday was a hate crime. University of Maryland Police Chief David Mitchell said during a press conference Saturday that he thought the, he sought the help of federal investigators after discovering Sean Yurbanski, the suspect in the attack, was a member of a neo-Nazi group on Facebook. Yurbanski faces charges of first and second degree murder for the attack on Richard Collins the third Saturday morning. Collins, who was visiting the 
the University of Maryland and due to graduate from another local university on Tuesday was reportedly stabbed in the chest while standing at a bus stop at the university. Court documents say Urbanski approached Collins and a group of other students and shouted, Step left, step left if you know what's best for you. When Collins refused, he was stabbed. Oh, boy. Now they're trying to figure out motivation on that one. Wow. The Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus has wowed crowds for 146 years with its greatest show on earth, took its final bow on Sunday. Mm. The circus last show at the Nassau County Coliseum in Uniondale, New York, was sold out. Former circus performance performers were in the audience. Kind of a reunion for everyone. Ringling's parent company, Feld Entertainment, announced in January it was closing the show, citing declining attendance and high operational costs. Also, animal rights activists have been yeah. making mm. business difficult for them. Uh, said, and they goes in the end though. Fed exec or Feld executives said they knew the circus couldn't compete with iPhones, the internet, video games, and massively branded and carefully marketed characters. So the former circus performers were in. The audience. How would you have liked to sit next to the bearded lady? <laughs> Ma'am, excuse me. Can you uh, move your beard? It's in my nacho cheese. The appearance of a bear cub, a real one, not a mascot, forced the cancellation of a pair of high school baseball and softball games in Vermont. <laughs> Blue Mountain Union High School and Oxbow High School gave up Friday after a curious black bear cub refused to be shooed away and then wandered into a dugout. Oxbow baseball coach Sean French said it was a historic first that sent players and fans scurrying indoors. Officials say the Cub had been lurking for a couple of days, necessitating cancellation of school recess at uh, Blue Mountain School in Wells River. The Friday games were delayed because of the Cubs' appearance before being canceled altogether when the Cub came back. And you know when you have a Cub, Mama's not yeah, far behind. you got to watch out. So, And finally, a Missouri man disappointed with the amount of candy in these boxes of Reese's Pieces and Whoppers is suing Hershey's. Robert Bratton brought the number of uh, bought a number of boxes each at a candy store in Columbus, Missouri, for a buck each. He says he would have been uh, less likely to spend that money if he knew how underfilled the boxes would be. Bratton's lawsuit claims that the boxes of Reese's Pieces were underfilled by about 29%, and the Whoppers, the boxes of Whoppers, by 41%. That was a Whopper unfulfilled, his, unfilled. Yeah, his lawsuit argues shoppers are being misled, but Hershey's counters that the customers are well aware of the concept of slack fill. You ever heard of slack fill, Matt? Oh, yeah, I got it. Uh, by which packages contain some empty space, either due to settling or to protect their contents. Besides, the company argues the total weight and number of candies is printed on each box. Finally, Hershey says the empty space shouldn't be a surprise to c- customers as the boxes rattle when they're picked up. We have been scamming you for years right. on this slack-filled box. <laughs> Don't act surprised. The judge denied Hershey's motions to, to dismiss the case this, this week, but also deferred on Bratton's desire to turn it into a class-action lawsuit. Mm. It remains to be seen how much slack-fill is too much slack-fill, legally speaking, when it comes to our favorite candy. But they don't they don't they don't print the individual weight of every box. They, they don't they print the weight you're supposed to have. Well, yeah, they have a number And he's they arguing hit. it's less than that. Well, most well, we, of us don't remember to bring our scales with us. Yes. Yeah. I mean, most of us aren't drug dealers that have scales in the back seat. <laughs> now, the court documents, they have some photographs that are interesting. He cut the boxes open to show you one how big the box is. But you cut the front of the box off, and it shows you where the actual candy starts, which is about halfway down. But you, he's saying fill the box up. But Hershey said, "You know, we don't do that because no. you can shake a box, so you know the contents are loose." Yeah, no. the reason they do it is so that pe- moviegoers can get caught trying to sneak candy into the movie theaters. Because if it was totally full, oh, yeah. you wouldn't have the rattle. That's why whenever I get slack-filled boxes, I cut them down to size so that there is no movement so I can sneak them into mm-hmm. said 
or theater. Buy them cheaper at the grocery store, put them in a Ziploc, and just take them in that way. That's how Mama does it. That's right. That's I think I side with there. this guy. I, I'm, we need I'm more candy. I want this lawsuit to go forward, and I want this guy to win the slack rule. But if it was a class action, how much money would each individual play and get? Everyone like would a get dollar? Yeah, you get a Whopper. One Everyone Whopper. gets one movie theater-sized box of candy. That's great. Seems kind of it really does make sense. If I would get them on the fact that they're not environmentally sound. Why would you need all this extra space in the box? You're wasting all of that paper. Half the box, yeah. Just come on. Mm. Was, is anybody going to buy half of a box what about for pota- that same amount like of money? Like the potato chip industry. Right. Half the bag is air. In fact, and they puff, they just fill it full of air. So it's like, wow, this has got a lot in it. Right. All I can't wait to see this guy win this case and then see the next lawsuit where he uh, sues them because now he's obese for the extra candy. That's right. See, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's, you can't, you're going to win either way. Mm. You're going to win either well, You actually die either way, but you'll win. But you'll be happy, Dad. Hey, uh, a woman was attacked by a camel at Jefferson Davis's last home. A Florida woman claims a camel at the last home of Confederate President Jefferson Davis attacked her at the Mississippi tourist attraction in 2015. She's now suing. Whoa, what was that? This is camel. This is attack camel. Oh, okay. These are the worst camels you can get. Uh, she's suing the United Sons of Confederate Veterans Incorporated, identified as the operator of the Beauvoir Plantation in Biloxi. <laughs> Sylvia June Abbott says Sir Camelot injured her mentally and physically. A bit. Attorney Charles M. Thomas said Abbott and her husband were walking to a cemetery behind Beauvoir when the camel stampeded her and bit her. Camels are feisty. I've been on a camel in I've Egypt. And I've heard they're jerks. They're jerks. Yeah. And not to be rude, they've got buck teeth. Then they spit on you for they no spit. reason. Yeah. They, they are God's creations. Yeah. Mobile canteens. Yeah. Good job, guys. I've always learned you never let a camel's nose into the tent, under the tent. That's what I've heard. That's what I've Once learned. Once the nose is in, the rest of it follows. Because then they'll just bite and spit their way in. Right. Abbott says uh, Beauvoir's operator should have known the camel had behaved dangerously in the past, mm. though it didn't specify any prior incidents. But you should wow. know that this is a jerk of a camel. Obscure camel behavior. You should know that. Uh, I feel bad for her. You're just going to hang out at the you know, Sons of the Confederate. Beauvoir. Beauvoir Plantation yeah. Incorporated. Well, that that music was intense, too. Yeah. Where did you get that? Was that ca- When Camels Attack? I believe so. Theme song. I think that's Kiko's favorite show, When Camels Attack. I think it was a Fox show at one time. It was a Fox show. Mm-hmm. Limited run, yeah. Uh, he's from the islands. They have a lot of camels out there. Can we ask him how to cook a camel? No. Okay. Nope. Because we're not sure cooking with Kiko is going to actually happen. We will take a break, folks. When we come back, we've got so much to talk to uh, talk about. We're going to get into anxiety with our guest, Dr. Peg O'Connor, and how it actually may be an advantage for you. It may set you aside um, uh, if you know how to use it properly. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world and watch out for those camels. Welcome back, friends. As we're trying to get our next guest on the line, uh, we wanted to talk to you about uh, a stolen trailer 
out of Arkansas, just in case, you know, you see it out there on the road. Police in Arkansas have arrested two people for stealing a 16-foot trailer that contained thousands of dollars worth of Little Debbie snack cakes. I mean, $5,000 worth of snack cakes. The police say the trailer was discovered missing early Wednesday from an outside of a storage unit northeast of Little Rock. According to police, the reported trailer belonged to the Little Debbie salesman that contained $5,000 worth of the snack treats. Police said the trailer was located in neighboring Mississippi County. That night, during a traffic stop, and report that none of the snack cakes were touched. Two female suspects have been taken into custody, neither of which was Little Debbie. So, okay, so we can we can uh, rule out that that you know maybe she was just trying to reclaim her property. Her property, yeah. I think she was really. These were just giving people. They're just givers. Yeah. And they they just borrowed. It's kind of the Robin Hood Little Debbie story. Yeah, where they they steal hmm. from the rich salesperson and give to the poor. Okay, people of Arkansas. So that's that's your theory. Yeah, I I think it is good to give these quote unquote crooks the benefit of a doubt because yeah. look that that story had very little info in it other than the fact that none of the cakes were stolen. What if they just, you know, were going out to their car and they got in the wrong truck? Right. What if what if it was just a mistake and maybe they just thought, hey, we have a black truck, you have a black truck? Yeah. Just taking the black truck. And, you know, yeah. these types of food products get recalled all the time. Maybe they found a truck that had a bunch of product in it that had not right. properly been recalled, so they decided to take matters into their own hands. Maybe None they, of the cakes were taken. Maybe they thought that maybe they were maybe they were drug dealers and they thought they were like cocaine cakes. Mm. I'm just saying. Yeah. So they didn't think they were stealing food. They just thought they were stealing their their drugs. It is possible maybe. that there's some villain out there, not these two women, who has an affinity for Little Debbie cakes, mm-hmm. and he kidnapped their dog and said, we will return Snuggles once yeah. you steal oh. us this $5,000 worth of Little Debbies. Maybe it was Jenny Craig. Maybe Jenny Craig was trying <sighs> to save people from in Arkansas from overeating Little Debbie cakes by stealing them. You know, we have talked a lot about animals attacking this morning and how maybe that's one of the signs of the times. Maybe something is going on. Maybe there's a zombie apocalypse and people are trying to get ahead on their food storage. Maybe that was it. Maybe this is a survivalist that is very pro-sugar and pro-fat and they're trying to just put away maybe a three-year supply of Little Debbie cakes for the neighborhood. Don't you always get nervous when you get the feeling that Somebody knows something that you don't. Yes. Like you see a crowd mm-hmm. of people going over to a certain place and you're like, oh, or should, should I be going over with that crowd of people? What do they know that I don't know? It's such a good point. Such a good point. See, it is important to give the benefit of the doubt because it would be easy to just think some criminal stole these little Debbie cakes. But it, it just as easily could have been little Debbie striking back. Just for the mere fact that everybody calls her little. We shouldn't always refer to somebody as big, little, smart, not so smart. You know, we shouldn't do that. We should instead just accept everybody and realize that whether you're big or little, your cakes are all valuable. And what about the big boy? Bob's big boy? Yeah. 
Can you imagine just being known as the big boy? Do you it's remember horrible. how like horrible we, like we call our producer Little Palakiko? Little Kiko. But that's rude. You know. Little Kiko. Anyway, always give the benefit of the doubt. That's what we're trying to teach you here on the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. When we come back, I'm going to give you my own version of Worry Anxiety 101, how to get over some of the worry, give you the latest and greatest tool set I've got uh, to help you through those anxious days of life. Stick with us. Take a little flower, crack open an egg. Don't forget to add some love. Mix it in a pot, and pretty soon you've got the lovable and huggable man, Palakihiko. Welcome back, friends. You know, welcome. Uh, life is full of pressure. Have you noticed it? Just enough to stress you out and make life kind of difficult. Um, but the reality is, and, and we, we hear more and more, that people are feeling more stress, more anxiety, more people are being diagnosed with anxiety. And yet, how can that be, right? I mean, is life just that much more stressful or are we just losing our grip? Are we losing our ability to find the peace amidst all of the pressure? So I, I actually um, – I've had a really weird experience with this. So I have a lot of clients. I teach um, marriage skills, conflict resolution skills, teach them how to communicate and, and strengthen their relationship. But I found a lot of couples, what they're struggling with is one member of the relationship or the or the partnership – one of them may have more anxiety than the other, and that anxiety plays out in really strange ways in the marriage. They, they, you may have a partner that worries about a lot of stuff. You may have a partner that might be more introverted and doesn't want to go to every party that uh, you want to go to, or they stress about it, and they, they would rather stay home and read a book and you know, watch Netflix and hang out, and you might be thinking, what is your deal it's this isn't fun. This isn't a, the way to live. We can't always worry about everything. So how do we manage the anxiety if we're going through it? Um, as as and, and I created a workshop for it and um, put it on my website, uh, uh, matttownsend.com. But the workshop is really about how we figure out how to get through it. So let's talk a little bit about what anxiety is and what you can do about it. Anxiety, by the way, is an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, physical changes like increased blood pressure. Everyone, by the way, should experience anxiety, right? If I drop a cobra in your cubicle, you should experience some stress, right? Very natural thing. You should have the worries. The difference with anxiety disorders or people that have an anxiety disorder is their anxiety is, is kind of – it's constant. It's permanent. About 18% of the U.S. population, 25% of adolescents ages 13 to 18, 18% of adults suffer uh, and experience anxiety above and beyond, just a natural state of stress. And so it's a big deal. Now, one thing to remember, though, is not all stress is bad. And that's one of the downsides to trying to deal with anxiety is 
a lot of us would just rather go medicate our stress and take drugs, take anything we can to to not have to engage um, or just avoid life. But the problem with it is a lot of your greatest growth in life is going to take place when there's a little stress on board. So you got to know that there's this one type of stress called eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, which is a very helpful type of stress. 77% of Americans regularly experience physical symptoms caused by stress. 73% of Americans regularly experience psychological symptoms caused by stress. And 76% of Americans cited that money and work as the leading causes of their stress. Now, interestingly... Um, stress is a healthy type of stress. So the way this works is stress would be the fact that you love your job and you, you know, you, you have to pick up your game. You have to work really hard. You focus on going and doing that really big presentation and sure you're a little stressed out on the way there. You're stressed out, but then you hit a home run and life is great. That stress is called you stress. That is the healthy stress. And if you have enough of it in your life, you feel energized. You feel focused, right? You feel excited about life. You really feel like your work is, is, produces results. That's the good stress. If you have too much of that going on in life, that's called distress. You start to get anxious, fatigue, exhaustion, breakdown. So at in some point in our lives, we have to know when we're moving from the good stress to the unhealthy stress. So think about it like think about it like physical exercise. Nobody necessarily loves to feel the stress of running on a treadmill, but once you've but once you've kind of gotten in shape and you can run on a treadmill and maybe put in thirty or forty minutes on a treadmill, that is a good amount of stress that helps keep you healthier. If you don't ever want to have that experience of feeling the stress of a treadmill, then you could fall into kind of an unhealthy state where you're not challenged, you can't do things, you can't even live at an optimal level, or you could actually spend too much time on the treadmill and it becomes distressful and makes you less healthy. So life is about balance, right? So how do we do that? How do we get into life to a point that we, we can balance this anxiety and this stress. So think about your own existence. Do you, do you look forward to your work? Do you look forward to your work day? Do you dread it? Do you have this feeling of uh, just doom and gloom? There's no one way to, um, to kind of assume that uh, you're just – you have an anxiety disorder unless you start looking at how your day plays out. Do you, do you have dread? Do you have fear? Do you always wonder what's going to happen tomorrow? Do you wonder what – do you worry about things that you said yesterday and maybe obsess about it and think about it many times today? Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Why did I say that? If you can't let go of yesterday and you're always worried about tomorrow, you're probably going to feel more and more stress. And stress is normal, right? Think about it. If you naturally spend a lot of time in tomorrow, you should feel stressed because the problem with tomorrow is you can't live tomorrow. So you can call it whatever you want to call it. You can call it anxiety if you want. You can call it stress. I don't call it anxiety usually. I call it worry. I don't call it fear. I don't call it concern. These are all words you may have, apprehension, unease, agitation, angst, tension, you might have the, the dem dare jitters, but the reality is you probably have worry.
And how do you handle worry? Uh, let me give you just a few of my favorite little tricks about worry, okay? And I promise they work. Number one way on earth to manage your worry, and we've talked about it on the show quite a bit, is the fact that um, you got to breathe. When people are stressed, your breathing changes. Think about it. If all of a sudden you heard somebody, you're walking down an, eye, an alley in downtown New York and somebody you know, starts a chainsaw behind you, <laughs> your body is going to kick into some natural fight-or-flight mode. When that fight-or-flight mode is on, your, bre- your body is going to start breathing differently, probably more shallow breathing, right? Because you got to get enough oxygen going, but you got to get that heart pumping. You're going to breathe shallow. You don't have time to take enormous, big, deep breaths. Your body will tighten up. And as you tighten up and get ready to start running, game on. And that's what happens to a lot of people. If I, if I told you today that you're going to have to be on national television in front of three million people and talk about something, that might stress you out. And what you'll notice happens immediately, your breathing changes. You don't tend to breathe as deeply. You don't tend to uh, get as much oxygen in your system. And when that's going on, you feel stress. The natural byproduct of not breathing enough is stress. If I sat on your chest... It would stress you out, I'm pretty sure. It would stress you out. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had – remember back in the day, your friend would sit on top of you and hold your arms down, and all of a sudden you start freaking out, and you can't breathe. I can't breathe. You start hyperventilating. That's what happens when worry kicks in. So the number one tool is to learn active breathing techniques. And there, it's hard to teach. It's really not because it's, it's easier to see, I think, healthy breathing. But all you have to do is go to YouTube and look up active breathing and there are incredible tools online to start learning how to breathe deeply. I learned as a, as a journalist um, and, and an anchor, a television reporter anchor, right before I would go on air, I would always take a deep cleansing breath. I try to fill my lungs up with air. I try to hold it. And then I would breathe it out slowly. And when I did that, amazingly, I got rid of the jitters. The jitters literally just disappeared. And they disappear because once your body's oxygenated, you don't need to feel the worry. Many believe 80% of anxiety issues can be managed just simply by breathing. More effective, healthy breathing. Another tool that is so powerful for you is your brain and where you put your thoughts. So once you start to notice your worry, a lot of us start arguing about the worry. I had a great story with my son once where... Um, he had a little social anxiety, and he didn't want to go to his, this guitar performance class we had signed him up for. He asked to go to this class, just so you know. It wasn't parents forcing him. He wanted to go to it until it was time to go. Then he started giving us a bunch of lip and story like, I don't want to go. These people, I don't even know these people. I'm not going to learn anything. I don't want to go for two days. And what if it's stupid? I, I want to go with my friends. And they, we had a million things that he was bringing up. When you start to feel worry, you tend to bring up a lot of nonsense, the things that he doesn't like. Well, what if these people aren't there? A lot of what ifs, a lot of, you know, possible things that might happen. A lot of the teacher's stupid. They don't understand me. I don't want to go to school. This is stupid. Scouts are stupid. (laughs) Whatever you try to get your kids to do that they don't want to do. Um, In the end... Don't take the bait. Don't fight over all of these things that aren't the real issue. This had nothing to do with 
every excuse my son was giving me for why he didn't want to go to the guitar class. It was his worry. His social worry was kicking in. So what I learned to talk with him about is, son, this is your worry kicking in, isn't it? You're just worried. So how are you going to handle your worry? There's only one question you need to worry about when it comes to your worry. It's how you're going to handle your worry. Don't fight about whether you should do it. You've already committed to do it. We've already paid the money. So I basically told him, we've already paid the money. You are going to this camp, this guitar camp for two days. You're going. So the only question we need to figure out is, how are you going to handle your worry? And then we can start worrying about how we handle the worry. And by doing that, I forced my son to deal with his worry instead of making up a bunch of stories that aren't the real issue. Does that make sense? Then I just have to give him a bunch of tools to handle the worry, one of which is breathing. Let's practice our breathing. Another thing we can worry about or practice is our thinking. What are we thinking about? Give me some things that you know that, of how this will work for you. I just coached a person on, that had to give a really big speech, and they were, very, they were terrified about having to give the speech. And they're worried that they're going to break into hives. They're worried that their face is going to go red. And I'm like, okay, so great. So let's imagine you get up there and you uh, – I go, have you ever broken into hives before doing a speech? She's like, no. But I've seen somebody break into hives and it was horrible. So you've never seen or noticed you broke into hives? No. So if that's the case, what are the odds you'll break into hives? Well, I don't know, but I don't want to risk it. Let's say you did break into hives. Could you wear clothes that would make it so you didn't – no one could see your neck breaking into hives? Well, yeah, I've got this really nice blouse that could cover – great. Let's wear that. What else would happen if you started getting worried and your face turned red? What else could you do? And we started talking about solutions for how they could handle it. And amazingly, once you start to address the issues that you can handle, a lot of times your worries kick down, Right. One of the rules about talking and dealing with your worry is focus where you have influence and power to influence. Don't just focus on what you're concerned about. If you focus on your concerns, your concerns tend to grow. If you focus on where you have influence, your ability to influence it grows. I remember giving a speech once after uh, in, a, in, a, in a speaking class in, in college and um, saw somebody really having a physical breakdown in the middle of their speech. And then I went and gave my speech, and immediately after my speech, I ran to the restroom, and I looked at myself in the mirror because I wanted to see if I was experiencing or showing, demonstrating any of the physiological effects of a breakdown. And I got this confirmation that I wasn't. I was a little sweaty, but I wasn't red-faced. I wasn't breaking into hives. I wasn't – my eyes weren't bulging. I wasn't hyperventilating. And once I got that fixed in my brain, I could then know that for me, I don't respond that way. And that gave me more and more power. One of the another powerful way to manage your anxiety is to recognize it. Call it that. Say it out loud. Wow, I'm feeling worried. Because you're you're going to have to see it sometime, right? Once you start to see that you're feeling the worry and and owning the label of it. Then you actually can you can do something more about it. Another powerful tool to managing anxiety is simply um, staying present, because our inclination 
is to, and you'll notice a lot of your worry is going to come from your past or your future, worrying about what might happen, worrying about what did happen. The more I can stay in the now and work on what I can work on, it creates some powerful, powerful stuff. Another thing I teach in my uh, worry program and my anxiety program is that you need to build what I call your calmness code. There are certain things that build more calmness, right? And I need to know what my code is. And so over my lifetime, I've been figuring out, I know before I do a big event or a big speech, sleep helps me. I know that I need to be prepared. I need to know my stuff. I need to trust and believe in my abilities. I need to think back to all of my successful experiences. And as I build my own code, I know I need to probably not have caffeine on board. Uh, or sometimes that will create more anxiety for me. I know I need to have some good healthy food in me. I also know before I speak, I can't have just eaten. So I've learned all of these little tricks uh, before I speak. And I now it's interesting is because I speak so much, like two or three times a week, and get paid to speak. It's um, It changes. It changes your confidence level. It changes who you are. I remember being terrified uh, I was the youngest presenter for a, a major training company called Franklin Covey Company, and um, I was this young punk that would go out and try to figure out, you know, I'm going to go speak for this company, and I'm, I'm, you know, half the age of a lot of people in the room. And I remember having to just get my position clear, and I, I remember thinking, you know what, I just need to remember that this, none of this is about me. Nobody came here, and I, I used to write this on the, the, the little workbooks I would teach from, uh, my, my facilitator manual. I would write the phrase, Matt, nobody came here to see you. Just deliver the message. Just teach the principles. And I found a lot of peace in that. Nobody was there. Nobody traveled to go to a public workshop to see Matt Townsend when I was supposed to be teaching the seven habits of highly effective people. Just deliver the principles. And I found that when I lost myself by consciously putting myself in a different reframe, it worked. Amazingly, it works. And that's the cool thing about uh, worry. It, it can be your guide. It can tell you that you need to pay attention. And it doesn't need to, it doesn't need to own you. And the powerful thing about it is once you start to take your life back and not let the worry or the anxiety dominate, you have now conquered something that is huge. And now you can start to offer your greatest offerings in the world because you've conquered. You've conquered your weakness. Powerful stuff. We'll take a break, my friends. You can find out more. Just just look up the show, The Matt Townsend Show or matttownsend.com. Tons of material out there. All free. Just here to help. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back talking about uh, how to make sure you, uh, you don't get scammed by people. Stick with us. We'll be back. Hey, folks, have you ever been swindled into giving away money to someone who you don't think actually needed it? Well, uh, speaking of somebody that uh, might try to get your money but doesn't actually need it, Caitlin <laughs> Thomas is joining us today. 
And uh, she had a friend that, I guess this happened to, huh, Caitlin? You had a friend that tried to swindle, or tried, that was swindled. That got swindled. Because she just has a good heart? Well, it's a he. Oh, he? Oh, uh, I mean, really? he, he does have that a good heart. Friend. No, really. Friends. Okay. But he does have a good heart, but he was also just kind of... It was played. Not thinking right. Yeah. So he was like... Shopping by himself. He was shopping at Ross. Yeah. You know, dress for less. Yeah. With college students, you do what you can. I got it at Ross. I got it at Ross. He comes out and he's in the parking lot by himself. And there's not very many people left because it's pretty late at night. Um, and He was closing the store. Right. Yeah. And he goes and, you know, he pushes, unlocks his car. He drives a Subaru and it makes like this little beep noise. Yep. And some guy, you know, jumps and is like, whoa, and starts swearing like, that scared me. And he was like, sorry, bro. Like, Relax. Sorry. And then this guy starts going off. I mean, we're not trying to be racist, just trying to paint you a picture like this. He said he was a tall, skinny, like black dude. Yeah. And he just started painting a picture and just started spewing like this story about his sister who was with him who had fibromyalgia. Mm. And then a couple minutes later, it was his wife, like sister and then wife. Well, maybe, you know. And he was like, I just really need need some money. And my friend was like, well, why don't I just buy you some gas? Like, I'll just take you to the gas station and put some gas in your car. And he's like, no, no, dude, like, I need some cash. And he's like, you just bought stuff at Ross. Like, I watched you shop. Like, you got a credit. Like, he's, he knows that he's – he's like, dude, I just – blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Just like so awkward. Interesting, yeah. At this point where you can't say no. So he convinced my friend to drive to the gas station across the street where there's an ATM to pull out cash. And my friend the whole time, he's like, what am I doing? Yeah. He's like, I should just drive away. Just drive away. But he doesn't drive away. No. See, then so you, he, don't, I you know. don't. The guy wasn't in the car with your friend, no, was he? Oh, my god. No. Goodness. He followed him over. So he went all the way to the ATM. The oh, only brother. amount you can take out is $20 from an ATM. He gives the guy $20. The guy's like, don't worry. I'll get your phone number. Here's my phone number. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll Venmo you in the morning. Yeah. The phone number you gave him is fake. Yeah. Of course. And uh, there you go. So he he was out twenty dollars, twenty two fifty if you can't be. So did your friend figure out? I mean, because that's one of the tricks, right, of the trade is they just create such intensity. Yeah, like he was just like so flustered, like he like didn't. Yeah. So my thinking, like, first of all, a what is this man doing? Like just finding random people to swindle? Like he's I don't know. He's yeah. cra- he's a little a little nuts. He probably, by the way, he probably does have maybe some mental health issues or some addiction issues. He could potentially, you know, you never know. And like, I'm talking about your friend. Mm, no, no, I'm talking about the guy. But <laughs> who's it's a, married to his sister? Nobody knows. But but again, but we all fall for that. And every, it, we do every like every once in a while, like we'll find ourselves like asking ourselves, like, what am I doing? So here's some tips yeah. that I have because sometimes there it is hard to look at the people on the side of the road, like the ones that are with signs and stuff, the ones that try and harass you in a parking lot. Like I don't have a lot of pity for. Like, I'm right. like get away from me. But just try to avoid walking alone at night. You yeah. know what I mean? Like buddy system. Um, it'll help. Or if you're going to walk alone and make sure you're in like a really public store. Ross probably isn't the most public. <laughs> but, you know, you do what you can. Take a Try buddy. to avoid carrying too much cash in the event that you get stopped and asked for money. Now, it's very rare that somebody will actually go all the way to I never ATM. carry cash. Yeah. So I always either. say, you know what, dude? I don't have cash, but I'll give you – because I always have like a can of V8. There you go. I'll give you well, my bait. I'll give you some. Here's some water. Here's a water bottle. And here's, here's what I do for the people that are like on the corner with their signs. My heart just like. Yeah. I think it's because I lived in the Philippines for 18 months. So watching Americans beg for food and for money is just really hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go buy, you know, when I get paid, I'll go buy $10 gift cards to like McDonald's, you know, something like yeah. that. And then you can hand them out gift cards. It's cool. So that they have somewhere to then go eat. Have but they a can't solution, use you're saying. Right, have like, something. That way, if they and then if they don't want it, a lot of times I've seen them; they'll actually throw it back, and because they want yeah. cash, and then you know that if they don't want food, like they want it for something else, so right. you can just keep. And walking. who wouldn't take a food? I'd take a gift card if you're giving them out. By the way, 
Yeah. I mean, I'm just letting you know that. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Right. Jeff, um, it's okay to say no. Just be polite. Remember that uh-huh. they are still humans. Yeah. Like, regardless of whatever it is they're going through, like, they're still people. Um, but if they start to seem suspicious, like, I had a guy that one time, once upon a time when I was Miss Lehigh, I was going up to Salt Lake for a photo shoot, so I was meeting my mom. You were wearing the crown? No, I, I wasn't wearing the crown, but I had the crown in my box, but the box was see-through. It was clear, so you could see that there was a crystal. But it's like, they're not real. It's like you could buy the crystals of Claire's, you know what I'm saying? No. And I had a homeless man try and like rip it out of my arms. <laughs> really? Yeah. He well, tried when to, I came off the front runner train, he tried to Lake, touch the crown. He tried to take it, and I was like, "No." Luckily, a, don't mess a, with the like crown. a guy, a you know, someone helped me. He, uh, it was an older man, and he like pushed the guy off and was like, "Hey, like, don't really? mess with her." You know, like he, he, I think he, he looked like a dad, so yeah. he could tell that I was distressed, and that was really cool. So also, look out for each other. If you do see somebody that looks like they need some help, like stop yeah take two minutes out of your day to say hey like are you in some trouble or like break it obviously i was like no no like stop like and i started to panic i hadn't really gotten to the panic point yet when this guy stepped in but he was just cool and he was like hey stay away from her like don't Leave mess her with her. and then he walked me the rest of the way to my mom's work oh that's cool yeah, what a guy yeah so but just be that kind of person look out for other people don't give out any personal information. Uh, you want to come to my house? We could make you lasagna. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, yes, you want to like be helpful, but I mean, if you think back to Elizabeth Smart, yeah. that's kind of how he ended up getting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Just be cautious. Yeah, you got to be careful. Maybe don't take them to your house. Like I said, gift cards mm-hmm. or offer to buy them gas or offer to get them some sort of good Then you don't have to worry about. Yeah. Getting swindled like my poor friend. Sorry, Spencer. Well, and Spencer tried – so what Spencer needs to figure out is what was it that made this hard for him? Was it the intensity? Was it that the guy was right there? Yeah. Was it that he it's probably just, intimidating. Yeah. That too. Is he intimidated? And he was – yeah, and he just get kind of caught up in it. And he even said, I was driving across the street and I was like, just go straight. Don't go – like just keep driving. Yeah. But he didn't. And I just wonder if there's just like something inside. Was just be more aware of like. Well, that's it too. I mean, happening. and if you haven't experienced that, I mean, can you imagine how a New Yorker would handle that? Right, they would just walk. I mean, they're just I, they've just learned different rules. Yeah. So and some I mean, of us have never learned those rules. We don't expect it to happen to us in the parking lot in Utah County, but there are people there that just have bad intentions. I guess that's I'm right. not sure who this guy is or what his intentions. And you know about. what? He just ought to chalk it up. This, that was a great twenty dollar learning. Right. He just learned. <laughs> We're just gonna pray that that man used that twenty dollars for something. Yeah. And and again, maybe to help his sister wife with fibromyalgia. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's a great lesson. <laughs> Benefit of a doubt. Thanks, uh, Caitlin Thomas. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you. Yeah, and so we only have one more segment left, Matt. One more until Caitlin is – we have to push Gone her from out. the nest. So what should we talk about on Wednesday? I don't know. We'll have to brainstorm it. Okay. Make it a good one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jeff's sad. Same. We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. <laughs> This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to hour number three of the program. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. My, oh, my, have we got a lot to cover today. Today we will be, uh, of course, doing the headlines, the, the latest and greatest news. Also, um, some more empty news, some of the Matt Townsend news that you may not normally hear on the newscast. Uh, just they don't have time to get to these points that we that we get to. It's kind of empty. 
Matt Townsend is. The MT News Team. First on the scene, fifth on facts. Exactly. With a bite out of an apple. Hey, uh, also today, of course, we're going to be uh, talking with Kim Giles um, and and going back to a discussion we started with her last time about marriage and sexual intimacy and shame and, and how to kind of get through one of marriage's more difficult issues, intimacy. How to pick up your intimacy game and, and just make life a lot healthier and happier. We'll get to that with Kim Giles. Um, also, of course, uh, the hero of the day, BYU Sports Nation as well, will be on the show as we tee up and get ready for their show later in the hour. So much to cover, so little time. So let's get right into it. Terry, let's get to the headlines. What's going on around the country we should be worried about? The U.S. Navy veteran charged with killing a young woman and injuring 20 others by speeding down a crowded Times Square sidewalk in his car said he published remarks on Saturday, or set in published remarks Saturday, that he had sought psychiatric care beforehand to no avail. He goes, I was trying to get help. Richard Rojas, 26, was quoted as telling the New York Post in a tearful jailhouse interview two days after the carnage in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. I wanted to fix my life. I wanted to get a job, get a girlfriend. According to the Post, Rojas said he had recently spoken to a mental health counselor at a local veterans center who promised to call him on Monday. That was uh, last week. He said okay. Monday hadn't come yet. On Thursday, Rojas climbed behind the wheel in his Honda sedan and drove down 7th Avenue and uh, ran over people, and he killed one girl, 18-year-old woman, who was there vacationing. Right. He was subdued by onlookers. Police said he tried to flee on foot. He had been charged. He was charged second-degree murder, vehicular homicide, multiple counts. He said he had no recollection of the Times Square incident. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So A lot of people remember it. But he doesn't. He doesn't remember it. Yeah. He said he wanted to get help. That was on Thursday, and they said he couldn't come in until Monday, and something happened, and that's what he did. Yeah. So okay. okay. That should be complicated. Uh, Sunday marked a deadly ma- uh, day on Mount Everest, and especially tragic one for an American who had weathered danger before. Alabama doctor Roland Yearwood was one of three to die in separate incidences on the mountain. The Washington Post reports Yearwood whose cause of death was not has not been released, previously survived the 2015 avalanche that took 19 lives on Everest following an earthquake. Reuters quoted a trekking company sponsor who says that the 50-year-old died around 27,000 feet. The sponsor was unaware whether Yearwood had already submitted or was still or summited and was or was ascending. The married father of two had a goal of trying to scale the tallest mountains on each of the seven continents. Sheesh. So... Why? Also, a big old piece of Everest <laughs> apparently is broken off and yeah, slid that, off the side of the that mountain. created problems, sure. In other news, Golden State Warrior Center Zaza Pachulia has received online threats directed at him and his family following the controversial injury to San Antonio Spurs' Kawhi Leonard, according to local media reports. USA Today reported Sunday the situation was considered serious enough that security guards were sent to the entrance of his children's school as a precaution. He goes, me as a person, as a man, I don't mind dealing with it. He was quoted as saying by a newspaper, but I hate to see my family have to deal with it. My wife and kids who have nothing to do with it, who are are very innocent. I just hate my family going through all that. During the first game of the Western Conference NBA Finals, Leonard landed on Petulia's foot while taking a jump shot, sprained his already injured ankle. People feel maybe he did it on purpose. Yeah. Other people don't. It was an accident. The Warriors have a 3-0 lead, best of seven series, which will end tonight, likely. Yeah, the Warriors are just... And it was interesting, the Cavs were held back. Yes. They fell last night also. Hmm. So, interesting. Very interesting. 
Finally, yes. October 2015, Dan Quibble lost almost 20 pounds by eating two pounds of bacon every day. Hey, he lost weight? 20 pounds. He ate two pounds of bacon a day. He was cooking up so much of the stuff that he was downing shots of bacon grease because he didn't know what else to do with it. <laughs> so consume it? Uh, he goes, did Dan lose a bet? Did he hope to shuffle off his this moral uh, his this moral co- mortal coil and win last blaze of bacon glory? Believe it or not, he oh, was trying to eat good. healthier. And his bacon diet somehow managed to lower his blood pressure and improve his cholesterol and liver health. If you think that sounds too good to be true, you're not alone. Dan's doctor was shocked that his aggressive take on high-fat, low-carb uh, diet yielded such positive results. She said at least five or six times, I don't know what to say except keep doing what you're doing. His pork-only program facilitated other positive changes also. Uh, he says he felt mentally clear the whole time, had energy for longer resistance training sessions at the gym. This was a far cry from his unsuccessful attempts to, for a plant-based diet and also uh, mornings of fruit smoothies that left him already ready for a nap by noon. Yeah, I've had that. Bro. He stumbled into an extremely unlikely diet revelation. Revelation. So now he's got a Facebook group going. 30,000 people and people yeah. are coming in and saying, I'm doing the same thing. I'm eating bacon and I'm finding no, that, clarity no. and success in my dieting. I don't believe that. And That's drink, crazy. And they're drinking bacon grease and throwing it up on YouTube because why not? <sighs> I'd probably counsel against it. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody would. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what he's doing. 20 pounds, though. Can we bring this up again when Ron Hager is on the show mm-hmm. again? Because, I mean, I get it. I've lost, I think, 10 pounds, and I used to eat a lot of bacon. But that's also because my body was shutting down. No big deal. Your body's going to get you one way or another. There's always this the, the anomaly, right? He's just the anomaly. He's two, just the strange two pounds of bacon a day. guy that he can eat two pounds of bacon. Huh. But, yeah, that's not good. Would you tire of bacon? Yeah. That's a lot of bacon. That is a lot of bacon. I tire of the nitrates mm. and the nitrites. I saw a kid over the weekend. They didn't really thaw out the big pack of bacon. He just threw the whole thing on the, the grill. The bacon sickle as he was jabbing it with the oh. uh, Do you know you know what I've started watching? Have you on Facebook ever been um, subscribed to those, play, those uh, sites that show you how to make a meal? Like they'll make – like hamburger. Outrageous meals? Yeah. Like epic meal time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great. I could just watch that for hours. Like I watched him put hamburger down and butter, I mean, and uh, cheese, mm-hmm. ham, mm-hmm. roll it up into a like, a like a log and then cover it in bacon. Yeah. Uh, so why are you teasing yourself with these things that you know you can't have? Because what I do is I do that and then I just eat, you know. Do you envision – is that the picture that's going on in your mind as you're eating a celery stick? Yes. Hmm. And it almost compensates, but not really. But then I get the joy of, hey, that's a good idea. Maybe someday when I'm healthy, I'll eat that. And then part of my brain's like, no, that's what got you where you're unhealthy. Hmm. <sighs> Life's so hard. But just two pounds of bacon a day. A brand new Mount Townsend. What do you think that would that would help? No. Help with the gallbladder no, if you just if I ate a, if I ate constant bacon grease all day. If I ate day? five pieces of bacon, I would be 
I'd be in I'd be feeling pain. Huh. I'd have to pop some pills. Painkillers. Can't do it. So I'm not gonna do it. You All right. I'll continue to look for more diet options for you. You know what? The funny thing is there are none. There's just you just eat like a horse mm-hmm. or you eat bacon. So I'm gonna eat like a horse. Carrots. All right. Grass, celery, kale. Horses don't eat kale. They have standards. Do they? Smart. Did you see that Saturday Night Live beginning of the show? Where they sing the song? They sing Hallelujah. And um, he's President Trump's got to be hating this. Oh, of course. Because they have everybody involved. Now everybody's been caricatured. Mm -hmm. Everybody. Everybody on his staff caricatured. Well, it was a spoof of their sketch that they did when Hillary played that song after she lost. And he even used a very similar line. She ends the sketch by saying, I'm not giving up and neither should you. And Trump on this sketch, I believe, says, I'm not giving up because I didn't do anything wrong. These people, I can't speak for these people. (laughs) These people are on their own. He's supposed to be playing the piano and he keeps lifting his hands up. Yeah. So you can tell he's faking. Right. But the good news is... um, Dwayne Johnson running for president with Tom Hanks as his running mate. There you go. What a great combination. Anybody, literally anyone can be president. Anybody. Matt Townsend, 2020. Oh, no thank you. I'm, uh, I'm not interested. What if Kanye shared the bill with you? Now then I'd do it. Kanye. I'd let him be the president, though. You don't want to be vice president? I think being vice president is really a great gig. Free chicken dinners uh-huh. everywhere. You know, anywhere you go, they're like, hey, you're the vice president. Come have some cordon bleu with us. Kiko and Kanye? <laughs> Is that one of our next segments? Kiko and Kanye. Anyway, what do you do? Um, got a little crazy story for you here, though, that one that you're, you're not going to believe. Uh, Vladimir Sanchez spent more than four years in prison for a slew of insurance fraud charges. He was released on Thursday, but his freedom was short-lived. Sanchez, 45, is now back behind bars after his ride home, ended with a police chase. Ugh. From the prison. You were just out. Hmm. A shooting and a school lockdown, all that went down when he gets out of, out of prison. Miami police said it all started on Thursday when Sanchez's 16-year-old son, Alexander, stole his mother's 2013 Nissan Altima to pick up uh, his father up from jail. The next day, police spotted the car and pulled it over. Cops arrested Sanchez, who was driving, and tried to arrest Alexander and a third passenger in the car. Both jumped out of the car and ran away near St. Michael's uh, Catholic School. The school was then shut down, locked down for about 30 minutes on Friday. Police caught up to Alexander after an elderly homeowner called and said he'd shot an intruder. This is just a bad trip. Yeah. The homeowners found Alexander hiding in his basement. He told police Alexander pushed him, so he shot the teen in the buttocks. Oh, okay. He was hospitalized with so non-life-threatening The teen injuries. was picking up his father from prison. Yeah. Decided the best way to do that is steal mom's steal car. Steal mom's car. Mom reports it's stolen. And then once they... You just start running from the cops? Yeah, then you start running. And then... Don't think his father's like, hey, I just got out of jail. What are you like, doing? Yeah, you'd think dad would have a clearer head here. Huh. I'm guessing mom maybe didn't want her son to pick up the yeah, dad. Mom's probably mad at dad, yeah. thinking, yeah, no, you go to prison. I'm not, we're not picking you up. You're on your own now, man. Is that a situation you maybe you call an Uber? 
That's exactly You Uber to jail and Uber home yeah. from jail? I mean, really, it's safer for everybody. Just Uber. Yep. Then the driving would have been healthier, safer speeds. Yeah. Hmm. But there's a great Uber commercial right there. Well, now you know. Hey, if you're out of jail and the ex won't pick you up, call Uber or Lyft. Either way. I don't know. Lyft seems like a better name. For just just because it's a lift, yeah. Or do you just like the mustache? I just think it's the mustache. Okay, lift is that the British version of Uber? Yeah, yeah. Lift, lift. Yeah, with a British accent. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to be talking about your relationship intimacy in your in your uh, most important relationships. It ain't easy, but it's essential. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, last uh, time that Kim was on the program, Kim Giles, who is the president and founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching. She's a popular life coach. And uh, if you go to her website, a great website full of information, tools, everything you need to uh, to be able to, to make sense of life, relationships, healthy living. And last time Kim was on, we talked about um, – marriage intimacy, sex in marriage, and how it causes a lot of problems. We started talking about shame and the shame that's associated with it, the guilting. Like so, so, And part of it is because we talk a lot about pornography. We talk a lot about uh, child trafficking, sex slaves that are out there. So there's this weird – so if you, want, if you want sex in your married life, then you, you seem like a deviant. Right. You think all of a sudden, like, am I a crazy deviant because I want a healthy sex life? But then others have shame because of body image issues, because of you've been told your entire time, uh, you know, before you got married that sex is no, we don't do that. It's, it's naughty. You don't, don't even do think about it. And it causes problems. Confusion. It does. So we had fun a couple of weeks yeah, ago talking, talking about this because we, we both in our work, we hear from a lot of couples that have – issues in this area All the time. right yeah i i think almost every couple i've ever known has had some charge right. around intimacy in their marriage we hear a lot from couples that are really struggling that it's a huge factor and it's not we we when we start it's like we always think yeah we're both going to want it we're going to both want it equally and it just doesn't work that way. It a lot of times, work that way. and it's not even just gender. I mean, sometimes one gender might want it more, but it really can be anybody cannot want it or want it for a variety of reasons. And then physiology eventually impacts it. Then your mental processes, how you think, it becomes a big, it becomes a big knot. It does. And and Matt, I think I mentioned in my advice column that's published on KSL. It's the most asked question. I mean, every week, you Is know, really? questions from people about all kinds of issues at work and home come in. Yeah. I get more letters from people saying my spouse isn't interested in sex at the level I am and our relationship is suffering. How do I fix that? How do I get my spouse to be more interested in it? I get that question more than any other, and it prompted us to do a little survey. So we sent this survey out to my whole list, and yeah. we asked them to rank their their marriage intimacy from one star to five stars. Yeah. 
And it was so discouraging to find 50% of the people who responded ranked their intimate relationship a one star, as low as 50%, which was when you think about it, which would be half of every couple. Right. Would might maybe rank it a one. It might mean every marriage. And the other half would be like, we're a five. It's perfect. We hardly do it. Yeah. But the the reasons can be so varied. Yeah. There's so many reasons. And so we do always encourage people to talk to their doctor because yeah. there can be medical reasons, hormones. As we get older, uh, low testosterone, that kind of thing. Also, there's a lot of medications that actually interfere with libido. Yeah, absolutely. So you definitely want to look at the physiological factors. Yep. But I think you'd agree with me that for a lot of us, it's a mental game. It's a total mental game. And sometimes yeah. it's, it's, it's punitive. Like one person is just holding a grudge against the other. Yeah. Some of this is about expectations. I mean the most basic is just probably shame and guilt and fear and insecurity. So let's just hit on the shame real quick. We talked in more detail last time about the shame of growing up in a religious environment where we're told don't even think about sexuality or you're a bad person. And we're we're just drowning in that message. And then overnight we got married. Go. Yeah. Yeah. And now you you, what's wrong with you that you're not comfortable with sexuality and it doesn't happen that way for most people. And then you've got all of the – the news about sex trafficking and pornography that you mentioned, which can make anyone who has a sex drive yeah. feel ashamed. Like, what is this about? Right. Well, and, and plus, if you've been if you've been saving yourself for marriage and been trying to be a good kind of Christian person that's going to save it for marriage, you you shouldn't know much really about. You don't. You you don't. You haven't had multiple partners. You haven't been looking at videos and watching stuff you shouldn't have been seeing. So you come in very naive, but then you're supposed to know. Right. And most parents aren't (laughs) very good at teaching. No. Matter of fact, I think most of us could say our parents were less comfortable than we are talking to our children. In in that generation, I think there was such a great discomfort. We got no instruction (laughs) whatsoever. You you told me a great story about – the Kids guy that, have yeah, come that to you show up the night of the their, night before their yeah, the wedding, night, and you're like, you really, no one's talked to you, no, no, okay, Don't well, know a thing. <laughs> let, let's let me get a chalkboard, and here we go, <laughs> and it, and it blows their mind, but but there's a lot of fear behind it. There's a lot of performance issues. You want to perform. You have this belief of what it should look like. Hollywood's taught us a lot, and it they doesn't think. ever look like no, that. It never right? looks like Hollywood. Never looks like that. Never. Yes. So, so we got to handle the shame um, and the fear. How do we? But how do we do it? How do we start to? How do we get rid of the fear about it? How do we get rid of the stress? Okay. So the first thing is we have to get committed to the process of getting healthy in our mindset around sexuality. Yeah. And and honestly, I meet a lot of people who aren't interested in even being committed to try to fix this. Right. Like well, yeah. And that's the first step. We're gonna die. It, Let's just die. Well. Or, or I don't care about it. I don't, I don't care that my spouse cares about it. Yeah. I don't want it. So I'm not willing to learn and change and grow and get some more information and explore mm. this. So the first step is you've got to be willing. And let me say, if you are married and you're not willing to work on this aspect of your marriage at all, that's a big problem. You, you, I, I think that very thing means you need to go get some professional help. help. 
Because Absolutely. Or you're not your marriage isn't going to make it. If your partner and I would say that about anything. If your partner really is into something and you absolutely don't care. That's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. You've said you yeah. you've you've pretty much just said no, I don't, it, almost don't care about you. That's right. Right? That's right. And, and, if you and don't it doesn't mean care, you have to enjoy if your partner loves trains it doesn't mean you have to love trains to the same degree, but you you have to go learn how to appreciate what your partner appreciates. Right, because it's really about valuing all of them, right. isn't it? It's yeah. it's the whole package of what they they bring yeah. that you've got to be able to value. So I think that's the first step. Then we've got to get expectations out of the picture because every time we have any kind of expectation of what it should look like, how I should perform, how they should yeah. perform, what the outcome should be, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment, which I believe is the biggest poison in any relationship. Oh, yeah. Because if you feel di- like you're disappointing your spouse, it triggers such deep fear of failure that, of course, you're going to run mm-hmm. from anything that triggers that kind of fear in you. And I think there's a lot of people out there that have felt, have had so much shame around performance and I'm not good at it and yeah. I'm not comfortable with it, that it's just safer to stay far away from something that triggers that much fear in me. And then this triggers like the ultimate worst communication patterns and models. And so your insecurities, your shame, your fear – then perpetuates either fighting about it or ignoring each other about it or chasing or blowing up. Well, and the up. reason you can't communicate at that stage is that you're both coming from fear. Yeah. One spouse is having fear of loss because the other isn't interested in them. Yeah. And they're having fear of failure that they can't make that spouse happy. And in a fear state, everybody's got to understand this, you're selfishly focused in a fear state, you're only focused on one thing, and that's whatever would quiet the fear. Yeah. So if staying away from your partner is the cure to that fear, you're not going to have anything to do with it. That's them. what I always teach is self-preservation is not marriage preservation. So the minute you're choosing to preserve the self, not the whole marriage, then you're – you're killing yourself. Oh, Matt, that's really good. Does that make sense? Yes. Then, and, and it makes sense to be worried about it and to protect yourself. But the minute you are protecting you at the expense of the marriage whole, it's it's over. You've it's now, an I, not a we. That's right. And you're, you're on your way out the door. It's starting to die. Yeah. Marriages can't survive unless we protect it. And we means your needs, my needs, our needs. And the minute, and by the way, that's very natural, right? Once you get into fear, you fight or flight. Yeah. And then you have two people self-protecting. And when two people are self-protecting, nobody's guarding the marriage. And, and that's why it dies. And giving any love because right. self-protection is all about fear protecting right. me. You can't have love at the same time. So you're in big trouble. And instead, what if you could imagine getting, what if we can get through this? Like, what if we get through this? We solve it in a mutually beneficial way. We fix it. We improve it. Then what is our marriage? It, it is such a stronger we. Absolutely. It's so cool. So, you know, my whole program is about teaching people how to get out of fear so that you're capable of even giving love and coming together as a we. Yeah. Do we have time to get into it? Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah. Okay. First thing you've got to do is work on yourself and your fear issues, which means owning personal responsibility for the fact that you're in self protection mode. You can't blame it on your spouse. Right. You got to know this is your issue. Then you get to work on being in trust that your value is not tied to performance on any level. That no matter how much you're struggling with this whole thing, 
your value is the same as every other person and it yeah. always will be and nothing changes it. And just because you grew up in a family that didn't educate you on this level and you've struggled with sexuality doesn't affect your value nope. at all. So, so if you can get your value is clear and protected and solid, and solid then go – and that, that you're responsible for your part of this. Absolutely. No matter why. Because So if, if it's because you weren't educated or if it's because you have body image issues or if it's because – You've been abused. You have to go deal with that. Yeah, you've got to take it on. You've got That's to right. seek out help and deal with it for sure. And if you're having fear of loss issues where you're like, I am just not getting the marriage that I wanted. I didn't right. sign up for this. This isn't what I wanted. Uh, it, it's time to understand that life is school. This mm-hmm. is a classroom. And we are always drawn to the person who's going to be our best yeah, teacher. Absolutely. We marry them. Right, right. And they teach us by triggering all of these fears in us so that we can see our fear issues and have the chance to work on them. Right. So the minute I start trusting that this spouse that isn't sexually attracted to me enough or whatever it is, is my perfect classroom, I handle it different. I don't go to this pity party blaming yeah. place. Boo-hoo, right. But I go to a, a place of it's time to rise and figure out how to solve this together. Right. Instead of being all about me, focusing on love and how I can show up for my partner better. That's cool. As soon as you see things as your perfect classroom and you understand your value isn't in at risk at all. Right. Then there's nothing at risk. There's nothing to fear. And you'll have a safer place to then start working on the actual issues Mm. around intimacy. See? Okay, And it's just the beginning. We'll come back and continue this journey about how you actually manage your expectations or eliminate expectations, along with uh, just a a host of other things, including how do you uh, how do you what are some rules you can set between those? Yeah, because there's some that really always initiate and some that never do. We'll we'll figure out an interesting approach to that as well. Stick with us. More with Kim Giles when we come back from Clarity Point Coaching. Go check out our website, claritypointcoaching.com. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Uh, if you are one of those people that apparently is about 50% of the population that that struggle and, and wish your marriage and your marital intimacy, sex in your marriage was more abundant, more available, more connected, more close, more mutual, then today's your day. We're talking with uh, Kim Giles, who is the president and founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching. You can go to her website, claritypointcoaching.com. And uh, today we're talking about how many things ruin our marital intimacy, including shame, expectations, our history with our our families, our beliefs about it being dirty or inappropriate, our lack of knowledge. I mean, a lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff going on. So I want to jump in with the body image part. Because yeah. I hear from a lot of, especially a lot of women, that I'm just not comfortable with my clothes off. Right. Because of how I don't look the way I think men want me to look, right? right? 
So years ago, Matt, I actually read this really interesting article. A woman had done some research on why so many men are even interested in porn. Yeah. And they said it isn't because of the figures and stuff of these women. It's because women in porn want the men. Interesting. They, and, and really what all men want more than anything is to be wanted. They want to be wanted. To have your, my wife want me yeah. is my greatest desire. And I've run that past my husband and he agrees. Yeah, he's like full agreement. Yes. And I never could make him happier than days when he gets a text message from me in the middle of the day that I want him. Isn't that right? That's it's so, it's so real. It's makes totally him feel real. So loved. And really, what I'm doing is I've become the cure to his fear that he's not good enough. There you go. Because every day he's out at work, he's fighting the battle, you know, in the world, and and that yeah. fear is there all the time. But at home, he's a winning. Yeah. Because somebody wants him. No. So if that's what the man wants, is to be wanted, what does the woman want? Okay, so all women battle huge fear of not being good enough on every level as a mother with their figures. I mean, they are in fear of failure constantly. So how does the man become the cure to her fear? Well, my husband's gotten really good at this and he showers me all day, every day with validation about how amazing I am. Hmm. And it's really important that you figure out what your spouse cares about. Yeah. And if she cares about being a good mother, then you want to constantly tell her what an amazing mother she is. Um, my kids are grown, so I'm really a businesswoman at this point. Yeah. When my husband tells me every day that I'm the smartest, most amazing businesswoman, he just can't believe how awesome I am. <laughs> He's so lucky to be married to me. He's becoming the cure to my core fear, and I'm crazy about it. Yeah, then all of a sudden you're interested, him. right? So you got to figure out how do you become the cure to your spouse's core fear – and you will find yourself getting now, real popular. Real I could fast. hear the person saying that doesn't want all this intimacy anyway, saying, look, they need to cure themselves. OK, it's not me to help cure this. What would your answer be? Oh, because we do hear that. Don't yeah, we? I've totally, heard that from people totally. before. Like, I'm not here to raise another child that has insecurities. So <laughs> he just needs to deal with his own cure. But till death do us part in sickness and in health. And it is true that you can't fix your spouse's low self-esteem. They have to work on yeah, it. Yeah. But you can help and it will make your spouse more attracted to you. Absolutely. If you're helpful. Yeah. I, I know a couple right now that the husband is just so discouraged the wife doesn't want him more, but he criticizes her. Right. He's always making little digs about how the kitchen floor is still sticky. Did you, do you ever mop? You know, and, <laughs> and you make comments like that. She's not going to be attracted right. to you. No, I, I'm it's not good. Not You're happen. not good. And then, it, then it's, it's self-justifying. I don't need to serve you because you hurt me. And that's my reason why I don't do it and and vice versa. We can just hurt each other. Then we go back into protection mode, yeah. don't we? Totally. So so that's that's huge. And then how do we I guess how do we manage it if one of us it seems like in when it's disproportionate, one person tends to initiate it more, which means they didn't they tend to get rejected more. And they, I always get complaints that she never initiates. She never initiates, which is really his cry that she doesn't find me attractive. It is. But but sometimes he doesn't give her a chance yeah. to because he's initiating so Constantly. often. Right. And I hear from women say, let me let me miss you a little bit. Give me give me a give couple me, of days yeah. 
where I actually start having that desire for you again because really you're you're after it all the time and you don't let me get to that place. But if there's that kind of pattern in your relationship where one person is always asking for it and the other is always rejecting, yeah. this is a huge fear cycle that we want to reverse. So I usually recommend that the one who was doing all the initiating now is not allowed to initiate for a while. Yeah. And we want the other one to be in charge of initiating. And and this gives them all the power to show up in love mm-hmm. and really show this spouse that you love them. And hopefully they do that. What if, what if they th- – then how do you balance the the amount? Because then they're always like, I'll do that. I'll easily be able to show up once a month. <laughs> And the husband, the, other, the initiator is like, uh, they just don't trust that they'll that it's going to happen. Be consistent, well, or even and, once. And a month. every time I tell a couple that they should try this, they sit, they're afraid yeah. no, of loss exactly. that it's not going to happen. Okay, so you do want to have some conversations about what could both of you feel comfortable with? Yeah, you know, how as much, far as how, how well, often, yeah. right? But we don't want it to become transactional. Yeah. And the other thing I like to avoid with my couples is. Uh, where I'll help with the kids tonight if you yeah. put out later. The, yeah. We don't want that kind of transaction quo. either. Right. I want you helping out with the kids and the dishes and serving your wife because you love her and right. that helps her with no strings. Right. And I want the wife initiating intimacy all the time. Yeah. To show the husband that she loves him. Mm-hmm. And if we're both doing those things, guys, it'll be great. If your spouse doesn't respond. And and doesn't show up for you, then that's another conversation then you that's need to have, other, and yeah. we we may need to bring in some professional help. And you and I both have said this over and over: yeah. couples wait until this thing is on the oh. edge of being completely that's over right. before they get help. That's right, right? And and can we please just say, if you're out there and things are starting to even kind of not have the right energy around them, get get help in, get now. help. Right? Yeah, because it, we yeah, you wait. We wait till we're dead, and then we want our some therapist to come revive something that we've been killing for years. Absolutely. Okay. One other yeah, thing one I thing. want to fit yeah. in: um, receiving. For a lot of us, we're very comfortable giving. Yeah. And we can give and give to our spouse. We're great with that. But it, the receiving is where we get uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And for any couple to have a good intimacy connection, both have to be comfortable giving and receiving. So if you have trouble even accepting compliments, if you feel guilty when people go out of their way to do something for you, you've got receiving issues. Right. And that's another place that we find a lot of people need some professional help to to really learn how to receive and let their partner give to them and be comfortable in yeah. that space. It's so true. And so if you I always do activities where I have one partner compliment the other, and if they really won't accept the compliments, they have a receiving problem. They have a receiving a holding problem. problem. Oh, that's good. Good stuff. So where can they go? They go to ClarityPointCoaching.com, and you have an assessment on there? Uh, we do. And actually, I've got a great new uh, subconscious intimacy exercise. So if you've got shame issues and stuff in your subconscious programming – you got to go download the subconscious intimacy exercise off claritypointcoaching.com. It's under the resources section. Sweet. And if you read that every day, it's going to help you to change your mindset so that you're actually more excited and, and more 
able to receive. Love it. Love it. Her name is Kim Giles. Clarity Point Coaching is the website. Go check it out. Go take, uh, go, go look at all of her assessments, all of her free tools. So many uh, points of information on there. And uh, help, help uh, lose the shame and increase the love in your relationship. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, have a little bit of a, uh, a technical problem, so we're not going to be able to go down and visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Darn it, too, because I was going to ask him about the two pounds of uh, bacon, uh, eating bacon a day, l- help the guy lose 20 pounds of fat, which absolutely makes no sense to me. Um, but I do understand, you know, you can't just eat or drink smoothies your entire life. I've been doing that, and it's not quite the same thing. But I don't know that I could drink bacon grease either. That seems like a bridge too far. Let's uh, let's talk about this. A man was arrested for driving backwards. Apparently, even if you're heading the right direction, you're not allowed to drive backwards. Um, in re- you know, go in reverse. Listen to this. Uh, on a thoroughfare, a major thoroughfare north of Tampa, Florida, Wednesday, uh, a man was spotted by a deputy and pulled over. Short time later, the county sheriff's office said Sergeant William Hillman could not believe his eyes when he saw the rear end of a silver 2003 four-door Buick heading northbound in the northbound lane Wednesday night. So he was just heading northbound, going in reverse. Just so everyone is still with us on this, the press release from the sheriff's office read, the vehicle was traveling in the correct lane, going in the correct direction. It was just going backwards. Sergeant Hillman pulled the vehicle over and immediately told the driver, 37-year-old Donald Edward Miller, Jr., that Miller's license uh, was suspended. Miller told the deputy he wanted to be let go. Miller said the license had been suspended because he didn't pay his traffic fines, and he was driving in reverse because he just thought the Buick, he just bought the Buick, and that's the only gear that worked. So, I mean, what? You can't, why? Why can't you go backwards? Can you just picture the sale of that car? There's just one small catch. It's a great car. There's no dents. Brand Yet. new brakes. <laughs> it just doesn't drive forward. It, but the reverse, very fast reverse. You'd have to actually be able to go freeway speed in reverse. I wonder how fast your car can go in reverse. I don't know. I haven't tried it out. I mean, I've, I ought to try my new car out there. So I think he was probably still in doubt about the sale, but then he was like, but I get the remainder of the manufacturer's warranty, right? Well, it was a 2003. Oh. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure there was no warranty or a remainder of a warranty. But hey, why? I have a 2003. Yeah. Toyota Solara. I wonder how fast yours goes. I'll race you. In reverse? Uh-huh. Okay. Let's do it. Wait a minute. But don't you have a self-driving car? No. Oh. I wish. Game on. Game on, man. But uh, apparently your car by law, has to go front first, which that seems a little crazy to me. You think that's unfair or? Well, I mean, you are driving a vehicle, and if you're obeying all the laws, why couldn't you? I guess it would freak people out. Is that why you're not allowed to do it? Because everyone's going to think you're going to run into them. 
I just don't know if anybody's tested it to see if it can be done safely. What if you reverse the seats? What if you reverse everything? Put the steering wheel in the back seat, look through the back. The I rear think it'd view. be easy to get caught up on, you know, I need to turn left, so actually I need to turn right. Yeah, but what if you're, again, if you don't break the law, what's the problem? I mean, you're just you're just different. Why? We can't be different. No. What if what if you're, you know, what if you're a, a mother-in-law that's just used to being a backseat driver? I'm just saying. Not that all mother-in-laws are backseat drivers, by the way. Not to infer that they are in any way, shape, or form. Um, anyway, it it does seem like it's it's kind of a problem. Boy, talk about a problem. I saw a video. We'll post this video up on um, our Twitter feed, at Dr. Matt Show, a man with the worst job in the world, a Bangladesh sewer cleaner. It is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. The man, every once in a while in the sewages in Bangladesh, they get backed up, they get clogged, and they got to send a guy down with like a rake to unclog the... Thing. And they don't even give him any type of scuba gear no. either. He and the video just is he just jumps into a hole of dark water. It's just black water. <laughs> anyway, um, black water matters too, man. Yeah, it does. But you got to see the video because if you sit there and complain about your day. Or your job. Like my job, what a rip. I just sit there all day. You got to watch this video. We it, all need to have humbling. a picture of this in our office. No, totally. It is. It's humbling. He just he just holds his breath. Water is up to the road. And he goes right down the hole with a big, a big stick and just tries to unclog. See, now, if I were him, I would shave that mustache. He has a mustache. He's... And it's, probably the eyebrows, too. Again, I'm not trying to disgust you. I'm trying to motivate you by saying don't ever complain about your job again. That is a dirty, dirty job. And a bunch of men are standing around and you can just see – I mean imagine everything that goes down the sewers in Bangladesh. This is a guy that keeps the sewers flowing. Mm, he's my hero. Don't know his name, but he is my hero hero. Uh, We have another hero for you. A 10-year-old foils a violent uh, thieves who tried to rip off his mother's uh, earrings on a driveway. A quick-thinking 10-year-old boy's heroic actions have helped put two violent jewelry thieves behind bars. Didier uh, Levenfinch raised the alarm and and memorized the robbers' faces when they targeted his mother in a terrifying attack at their home. His mother, Tanya, had just arrived home with DDA in North London when the jewelry snatchers grabbed around her neck and stole her valuables. The 48-year-old housewife and charity fundraiser was approached from behind by two men who placed their, uh, her in a headlock and pulled violently on her ears, ripping out her earrings. In the attack last June, um, the schoolboy managed to push the panic button on the alarm system at the house while carefully studying the face of the attackers. He was later able to pick out one of the suspects in an identity parade. His mother revealed that he has since had continuous nightmares about the attack. Thanks to Didier's swift actions, brother Eugene Williams, 36, and 33-year-old Devlin Williams were uh, both taken to jail for 14 years and eight months for their robberies across London. 
The schoolboy was named Westminster Police Hero of 2016. So congratulations to Didier being a good boy and also uh, just attentive. Thank heavens for good people like that. That's the show, my friends. We will be back again tomorrow to help you uh, see the good in the world and be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Until then, let's take care of each other and be there for each other. We'll talk tomorrow.